Hey folks, it's Cody Stoffer with Playmakers Corner, here to tell you about Code Red Coaching. Competing in athletics means you've lifted the weights, you've watched film, and you've got the passion. Problem is, that's what everyone else in the state has done. Perfect your game by honing in on your mental performance with Code Red Coaching. Whether you are a team or an individual, Code Red Coaching has the tools to create mentally solid habits and set up you or your team for success. Find Code Red Coaching at coderedcoaching.com or call 720-979-1914 to learn more today. That's coderedcoaching.com or 720-979-1914 today. Now back to the show. And let's get right to it. Thank you all so much for tuning in to this episode of Playmakers Corner Podcast. We are going to be getting to our usual business here, Week 6 Recap, where we recap scores, talk about games that we went to, go through our power rankings, as well as Playmakers of the Week that is brought to you by a sponsor now. So let's go ahead and jump right into it here with Thursday's scores. So to start off in 1A action, Strasburg takes care of business against Clear Creek 63-6 in their league opening game. Columbine in their league opening game, actually starting off super hot against Pomona here. They managed to score 50 points here, and in the process, Marquayne Taylor does collect 214 yards, and Josh Schneider gets 181 yards, and they rush for seven total touchdowns behind this dominant offensive line. Liberty versus Palmer. Liberty quietly at 3-3 three and three right now following a tough season last year with a 10-6 win over Crosstown Palmer. Then you have Brush for Zarvata. Brush getting into that win column once again with a 48-20 win to start this league play that I believe that they're in. And, uh, you know, they do so by rushing for 358 yards on the ground. Ty Griffith with 200 yards and four scores in that game. There was some Centennial League action as well on this Thursday night as Cherry Creek played Cherokee Trail. And, you know, they they get off to a good 34-7 win. But something notable that I want to talk about here is Brady Vodica, the freshman, throwing a touchdown going 3-8 of eight in this game. It looks like Brian Rudden had the most pass attempts going 6-11 of 11 for 68 yards. And Aurelio was, you know, one of four in this game. So it looks like Creek's still trying to maybe figure out who their quarterback is here at this point in the season, but it doesn't really matter when you're able to run for six yards a pop and you have two of the best backs in the state. In Smoky Hill versus Arapo. Arapo trying to cling to, you know, being a ranked team here, and they get it done against Smoky Hill, winning 37-22 to on the heels of, you know, just everyone getting in on the action here alonzo ramirez with a very long screen pass that he screams up the left sideline with to score one of arapo's touchdowns and then the defense just being very very dominant in this game breaking up 11 total pass attempts against tyleek bauer squad and you know just showing a lot of capability on the ground particularly in this game in some other action, if you head up north, Windsor gets back into the win column and a much-needed win, honestly, over Greeley Central. Then, in some other 5A league action, Legacy topples Rangeview 35-14. They do so on, you know, a solid rushing performance where they average 10.4 yards per carry. And then Will Thurston also having four receptions for 76 yards and two scores is impressive in its own right as well. Mountain View gets a 43-6 win over Centaurus. Kent Denver beats Denver West 20-6. Wellington loses to Valley in what's kind of an upset here in our eyes. 
Valley riding a two-game win streak as they topple Wellington 51-22. Valor Christian starts off league with a big win, 45-17 over Castleview. Main notes here is Asher Weiner here with three passing touchdowns, finally getting a chance to show what he is made of here and maybe making Valor very dangerous and balanced here heading into league play. Montrose gets a win over Grand Junction Central, 51-20. And lastly, a game that we attended here... In our power rankings, it was a battle between tied for 6th, Denver South, and tied for 2nd, Ponderosa here. In Ponderosa here, this was Ponderosa's homecoming game, and Denver South got the ball to start, and on the very one of the very first things that I noticed is number 78 on South starts off with a pancake, and this would be a continuing theme as this Denver South run game was super dominant in you know this game just in general here i think on the night that they end up averaging well over five yards per carry yeah six yards per carry basically throughout the night and this first drive is no different here you have you know capra here who spins twice on one play to get a first down and is just gashing the defense and then chevelle early finds the end zone here on this opening drive then it's weird as ponderosa comes out on the next drive there is no zach striker here on drive one where two runs get stuffed in a row, and then a drop leads to a three and out. But on the punt, the punt, the snap just doesn't go right, and there's a safety here, and Denver South is up 9-0 with seven and a half minutes. Denver South starts at the 50-yard line following the kickoff. They have a short run and pass, but then there's encroachment two times in a row that leads to a Denver South first down. Then there's a carry by Chevelle for the first down, Ponderosa, they take a timeout here with five minutes in the first quarter, trying to settle down, make sure that this game doesn't get out of their control too quickly. Then Capra runs for a touchdown here, but there's, I think, I think a false call here where they call holding on the receiver number 13. It looks like Eli Sobel that takes away a touchdown. Although, you know, from what I could see, maybe I didn't see it correctly, but from what I could see, Eli, that was a fantastic block. Shout out to receivers who block. But anyways, this, you know, penalty, bringing the ball out of the end zone, eventually sets up Denver South to take a field goal. And we have a very odd 12-0 score here with 350 in the first. On the next drive for Ponderosa, Edwards here throws an interception on third down into double coverage. And so the Denver South Ravens are on their own 45 with 2 minutes and 42 seconds left. Uh, Capra just underthrows a touch pass that's kind of dropped, but, you know, if he leads him a little bit more outside, as Coach V was saying, this is probably a touchdown. But then they keep on third down for the first. There's a screen to Rashad Caldwell for a first, then a toss to Early for a first down, and then Capra keeps for nine yards at the end of the quarter. So, Denver South, they're on the eight going in. They have a handoff to Early who throws, well, I put here in my notes, Capra throws in a jab step during this read option to freeze the linebackers, and it just works so effectively. His IQ and smoothness as an athlete at quarterback just helps out everyone else so much. But then there's a bad throw into double coverage on the next play, and on fourth and goal, you know, there is a speed option here, and Ethan Rodriguez strips the ball from Denver South, and number 37 of Ponderosa recovers the football here, or actually it looks like it was maybe just number 7, CJ Bill, who recovers and saves 
a touchdown here or maybe even three points for Ponderosa. Now, Ponderosa, they have the ball on their own eight uh, with 10 minutes left in the half. They have three short plays and a punt, but Denver South muffs the football and gives Ponderosa fresh life. You know, on the opposing 49, we see Zach Stryker come in and he keeps for the first down and the energy is coming back to the Mustangs. Now, at this point, Denver South should really be up 23 to nothing. And, you know, if Ponderosa scores here, this game can get flipped around. So they have a couple of runs here. They get a few. But unfortunately, Denver South, their defense picks up here. You have A.W. Shepard here who gets a sack on Stryker. And then on the next play, he doesn't feel the pressure from number 50, Chris Garcia, who actually strips him. Ponderosa recovers the football. And then on fourth down, they kind of just throw it. You know, they're pretty far back from the first down here. So they just huck it downfield and Denver South does intercept it. On the interception, there is a penalty that drives it back a few yards. And on the 15, you know, there is a play. They have a holding call called once again on their offensive possession this time that puts them around the seven yard line with six minutes left in the half. Now, there's a screen pass to Caldwell or a short little dump off pass to Caldwell, however you want to say it. He unfortunately cuts inside, and from our angle, it definitely looks like if he makes his defender miss and gets to the outside like the athlete that is it, that he is, this is a touchdown. So I think that this is probably another missed opportunity for Denver South here. Just an opportunity for them to play some cleaner football and, you know, really get clicking. But eventually on this drive, Capra does throw into triple coverage and is intercepted trying to force a pass to Roadrunner Caldwell. And so Ponderosa... With the ball on the 37 going in in four minutes, Stryker keeps for a good gain, but then Ponderosa fumbles the snap and Denver South recovers. This is a really sloppy game through this first half, if you can't tell. And so with three minutes on their own 15, you know, Denver South, they're maintaining balance here and they get first two down or two first downs, my bad. And then there's a two minute drill on this two minute drill. They start off with a halfback dive. Then following play, out route for a first, and they get out with a minute. With a minute left, Capra sees Caldwell late, but still gets a first down. South takes a timeout here with 48 seconds on the 45 going in. Then there's another throw to Caldwell for a first down and another timeout called here by Denver South. Capra keeps for a first, and a timeout is called with 19 seconds left on the 24-yard line going in. And then Capra shows great touch. He likes his matchup. He likes his odds one-on-one. -on -one. Eli Sobel versus the defender here and Capra with just enough air touches it in there and gets the passing touchdown to put South up 20 to 0 here heading into the second half. Now Ponderosa starts with the ball and they run for six but then on the next play they are gobbled up here by number 67 for Denver South and then on third and eight they run a play but an illegal formation pushes them back and eventually they have to punt. South with the ball on the 38, they eventually end up on third and three and they get Ponderosa to jump offsides again, doing encroachment and they have the ball for a first down on the 31 yard line before Ponderosa gets two stuffs and then, you know, an overthrow from Capra. On fourth down though, there's a throw to Early who gets to the first and then there is a handoff to Chevelle Early that puts up Denver South even more. Ponderosa here trying to get something going. They throw for a first down. Then Zach Stryker keeps for nine to 10 yards, throws for another first down. Then Stryker runs to get Pondo inside of the five for the first time all game. 
And with five minutes and 40 seconds left in the third, Erod gets the carry off the right tackle and extends for the score here, bringing Denver, putting Ponderosa on the board. Uh, seven to 25 here, odd score with five and a half minutes left. But, you know, on the next drive, South exclusively runs the ball for a first down over and over and over again. And they actually eat up the rest of the third quarter. They eat up five and a half minutes on their drive. And so with in the fourth quarter, Denver South, they have the ball in the 16. There's a lateral pass that goes for six yards. But then on the next play, number 33 for Ponderosa holds on for a tackle, forcing a third and five from the 11. But... Capra slings it in to number eight to put Denver South up 32-7. to seven. On the ensuing drive, Ponderosa runs the ball really well, and then there's a connection to Max Mervin that goes for a big touchdown, but that is called back due to an eligible man, an eligible man downfield. They then run for a few first downs once again and take a timeout with eight minutes and 19 seconds left in the fourth quarter. But number nine is put in to throw, and he throws into triple coverage and is intercepted, which is when... Simon, a.k.a. Coach V, and myself depart this game. So, final score of this game, Ponderosa would eventually score 10 more points in the fourth quarter, but Denver South with a massive win here, 32-17 over Ponderosa. Obviously, you have to look at this with a grain of salt here. Neither of the quarterbacks for Ponderosa were completely healthy. They will be sliding back in my rankings, and I will be pushing Denver South forward here. Denver South, you know, they win this game pretty convincingly, running for 323 yards and three touchdowns. But honestly, I think that there's still room for improvement. Got to cut back on the fumbles and the bad interceptions. Capra throwing into triple coverage is pretty inexcusable for the caliber that he has. And he just has to see passes a lot sooner. He sees passes late. So he's got to work on his timing and know when the pass is going to be open. I feel like he's worked with his receivers long enough to trust them a little bit more and give them a few more looks. However, as a runner, he is fantastic he had 15 carries for 130 yards and two scores his agility cannot be over or yeah cannot be overstated as you know two spin moves in one play i haven't really seen that work in quite some time and he just moves laterally very very well he can cut back and forth and his ability to run and also set up his runners pre-play for success is massive and cannot be understated for this Denver South team that looked more like a contender tonight than they have all season, in my opinion. So congrats, Denver South. Ponderosa, these guys just got to get healthy and they have got to snap this losing streak to top schools as they have lost two in a row now. They're only two to Palmer Ridge and Denver South. Not bad teams to lose to, I should say. And, uh, you know, once they get into league, I think that things will settle down pretty significantly and they'll be able to bounce back into the win column. Now we'll be talking about the Friday games here, starting with the ones that we didn't attend and kind of going from there. In some of the earlier contests, Legend here topples their Parker Sharer in Chaparral, 41-Zill. Denver East takes care of business against North Glen, 41-Zill of the same score. In a big two-way matchup, Devlin beats Platte Valley, 29-27, winning this close one and probably increasing their chances to make playoffs by almost double-digit percent. In the 5A league matchup between Arvada West and Chatfield, Chatfield pulls this one off, 42-28, and gets a big-time performance from sophomore athlete, Brock Narva, 27 carries, 132 yards, and three rushing touchdowns. Junior quarterback Jake Jones also has a solid performance, going 16 of 28 for 233 yards and a score. 
Overall, this very balanced attack by the Chargers and this very destructive defense does a great job forcing turnovers. They force two interceptions, and I believe that they also get themselves a forced fumble and recovery. Shout out Avery DeWeese here, who had an interception as well as a fumble recovery on top of his five tackles in this game. Huge win for the Chargers as they win their second one in a row here to try and get something going prior to postseason hopes. Fairview here wins the 14th consecutive matchup between them and the Boulder Panthers. And while a lot of people did get in on the scoring in multiple ways, Zach Lewis really impresses here with 10 carries for 110 yards and four touchdowns. It should also be noted that Rowan Reisner here does not throw an interception in this game, hopefully showing a changing of the tide and a more balanced Knights attack. Doherty takes care of business against Mountain View. Shout out to Caden Becker's solid performance going 11 of 16 for 173 yards and two scores. And then also Marquez Herrera here rushing for three touchdowns in this win. Pine Creek versus Fountain Fort Carson. This was a low scoring affair, but a close game nonetheless. Fountain Fort Carson looking like they were not throwing with Tavion Tooley, it looks like, as they lose this game 0-14 to at home. Pine Creek getting a couple of scores from Mason Miller and Jonathan Core as they have been all year, and also forcing a few interceptions. Ramon Pacheco, Justice Nicholson, and Logan Matthews all getting in on that action, as well as Mason Miller forcing a fumble and Jerry Lydiot recovering the fumble in this close 5A win. Rock Canyon beats Highlands Ranch High School in their homecoming game. Once again, Aiden Duda putting together an offensive playmaker of the year type of season here. 21 carries, 115 yards, and three scores. And also five different receivers getting receptions in this game on only eight completions. So, you know, Rock Canyon remains undefeated thus far in the season. Mullen beats Horizon 21 to 20. It's all about making those PATs. And Mullen does exactly that and route to this win. Aaron Waymeyer with a nice 196 yards of performance in the rush game. Looking at other Colorado scores here, you do have the, you know, Regis Jesuit beating Douglas County. Thornton getting into the win column with a 47-6 thrashing of Hinkley. Basalt continues to be undefeated in 2A here with a win over Grand Valley, 42-6. Aspen gets in the win column, 17-6 over Cole Ridge. In other 2A action, Alamosa upsets number 5 power ranked, I believe at the time, La Hunta as Brant Jackson catches three touchdowns and, you know, helps Casey Jones put together a solid performance. Well, Central with a bounce back win over Sterling, 47-7. Denver North also with a nice win over Skyview, 27-12 here. Berthoud with a big time win to open up their league over Fort Lupton, 35-14. Multiple guys having incredible performance in that game. The Academy gets a bounce back win as well over Faith Christian, 48-14. Rye continuing to impress here in 1A, 59-6 over Ellicott. Meeker doing the same thing, 40-0. Ray, number two ranked Ray, I should say. Beats Holyoke 53 to 12. Centauri takes care of business against Center. Centauri beats Center. Moffat County with the return of Evan Atkin gets a win over Rifle 29 to 26. Evan Atkin finding pay dirt a few times in this game. Holy Family beats Conifer 28-7. Vista Ridge throttles 3A Northfield 46 to 8 here. Brighton beating Prairie View 34 to 14. 
in a surprising turn of events. Woodland Park absolutely throttles Manitou Springs 35 to zil in what is a huge matchup that will help later down the road when it comes to league and playoff seeding. Falcon beats Coronado 41-19. Bennett beats Prospect Ridge Academy 68-0. Almost nice. Middle Park gets a win over Denver Christian 33-7. TCA takes care of business against Alameda. And also, speaking of league competition in there, Elizabeth beats Inglewood 45-20 as we get into league stuff. Res Christian, they remain undefeated after a win over Sand Creek. Yuma with a big time win over Wiggins on a last second field goal to beat them 23 to 20, staving off Wiggins' attempt at a comeback. After being up 20 to 6 heading into the fourth quarter, Wiggins came back to tie the game at 20 apiece. And then Yuma drives down with under four minutes in the game. And Alex Lozano connects on his third field goal of the night to lift Wiggins, to lift Yuma over Wiggins and remain undefeated. Speaking of upset wins, Mesa Ridge beats Pueblo West 21-14 on the heels of a great defensive performance and a balanced offensive attack. Florence beats Lamar 36-Zil. Golden beats Bear Creek 27-12 to start their league play, bumping Bear Creek out of R4A rankings. Palmer Ridge taking care of business at the top of 4A, beating Rampart 49-Zil. Eagle Valley gets a win over Battle Mountain 54-6. As I mentioned earlier, oh, in... Interesting news, Montezuma Cortez beats Salida 19-0. Loveland beats Erie 35-14, and this all but, in my eyes, punches their ticket at winning league and also moving up in our power rankings. Mullen, as I mentioned, overcomes Horizon 21-20. Skyline beats Crosstown Longmont Silver Creek 28-21. Skyline undefeated in games, and they currently own Longmont this season. Adams City beats Aurora Central 14-12, probably dashing any hopes of the Trojans making the playoffs. Overland outlasts Westminster 34-32 in a wild game to overcome and also, you know, get another tally in that win column. Air Academy beats Cheyenne Mountain 42-39. Sam Beers doing his thing once again, being the lead back in Colorado. Rushes for over 300 yards and a few scores. Buena Vista back in the win column as they beat North Fork 42-14. Eaton beating Steamboat Springs, brand new to 2A, 41-7. Summit remains undefeated and beats Lincoln 62-6. Uh, their matchup with Durango will be big time for 3A playoffs and for that league. Rouston Valley beats Lakewood 41-6. Green Mountain beats the breaks off of state runner-up last year, Meade, 43-7 in their home stadium and an impressive win. And then arguably the biggest story that we did not go to, you know, outside of games that we went to, that is, is Heritage upsets Fruta Monument 20 to 13 in Fruta. This is a big time win for this Heritage team. This has me second guessing uh, Fruta Monument a little bit. This is definitely a trap game in Heritage sneaking in four consecutive wins here and opening up with a big win in league. And a very winnable game against Adams City up next on the docket. And then you look at the rest of these teams, and they're built a lot like Fruita Monument with very powerful run games in Stanley Lake and Aurora Central. This Heritage team could really be sneaky. And, you know, if they play their cards right, if they beat all these other teams, they could have a chance to win their league against Broomfield potentially in that last week of the season, recovering after those two tough losses to 5A opponents to start the year. They are heavily boosted by, you know, some solid backs here. Noah showing, well, the quarterback here, who throws for 67 yards and some touchdowns. And then uh, 
Siegler, who runs for two touchdowns himself. I'd also like to shout out on the defensive end of the ball, you have guys like Rex Guthrie. He's a junior, 17 tackles, one for loss. Isaiah Moore is a senior who had 12 tackles. William Sheft is a senior who had 12 tackles. Also got to look at number 48, Nick Long, who had nine tackles, two for loss, and two sacks as well. Uh, William Sheft also forcing a fumble, and Carl Boo Hassan recovering said fumble. So great performance from these Eagles to upset these Wildcats. Huge, huge shakeup in 4A is on the rise here, uh, if you can't tell. So stay tuned for the power ranking segment for that. As for games that we attended, I'm going to go ahead and start us off here with Dakota Ridge versus Broomfield here. Broomfield, they start with the football and they waste no time scoring before a minute is even eclipsed here because there's a huge run down the sideline here. And then LaCrue powers in himself for the touchdown. All right. So they punt to Dakota Ridge. They have a short run, a blown up screen. The throw kind of takes a long time to get there on a screen pass. And then there's a throw for the first that just doesn't get in bounds and Dakota Ridge has to punt. So Broomfield with the ball on their own 20 yard line. The crew hits number two for the Eagles. Luke Francis in stride who picks up 33 yards. And then the crew two downs later finds Anthony Cobb for a first down. And then Broomfield takes a timeout here with six minutes and 44 seconds left in the first. And then on the next play, LaCrue rolls out left and hits number 88. I want to say it's Kalen Frey here for a beautiful touchdown going up 14 to nothing with 635 left in the first. Now Dakota Ridge, they get a nice return here and they have the ball in the opposing 47 yard line. But on, you know, this series of plays, a run gets swallowed up. Uh, number 60 for Broomfield messes with a screen pass. And then Blake Palladino gets sacked and they end up having to punt on 4th and 29. LaCrue throws into triple coverage on the next drive and it gets batted down. But roughing the passer on 48 still moves Broomfield forward to the opposing 43. And then Luke Francis does it the rest of the way, ripping off this 43-yard touchdown run. It would be 43 of his 112 total yards on the night. So... On the next drive, Dakota Ridge, they start at the 15-yard line, and they run for a first, but it's called back by penalty. I'm watching this game. The receivers are blanketed, and Blake gets tackled. Blake then sees an open receiver, but throws it way too late. And, uh, you know, he has the arm to still get the throw off to the opposing 35. And then, you know, a targeting call moves that to the 20-yard line before there's a short run, a power run, and, you know, Another run for first and goal at the nine-yard line. Number five here drops a pass, but the pass is on the next play. The pass is a little a little low on a slant in the end zone. Doesn't quite make it. Then triplet runs to the three-yard line, and that concludes the first quarter here. And so to start the second quarter, Dakota Ridge, fourth and three on the three-yard line. Blake Palladino spins, weaves, and dives for the score to bring the Eagles back within a couple scores. Seven to 21 to start the second here. Broomfield, they get a run and then a dropped pass to start their drive. And on third and five, they also get stopped here. And Dakota Ridge gets a stop, forcing fourth and five. There's a bad punt by Broomfield. And Dakota Ridge starts on the Broomfield 45-yard line. But that is not going to, you know, the defense here for Broomfield bailing out the special teams a little bit as Garrett Keeler gets a strip sack of Blake Paladino here 
And number 30, Noah Biller scoops and scores here to put them up 28 to seven. On the next play, Dakota Ridge, uh, or on the next drive, I should say, Dakota Ridge, Noah Triplett runs for a first down and then two more. But following that third first down that he rushes for, he's holding his ankle here at the eight minute and three second mark in the first half. Then there's a completion for six. Garrett Keeler, once again, blowing up the run and almost forces another fumble on here. But the running back on the next play powers forward for a first. Then there's back-to-back -back short runs that set up third and seven. And number four makes a fantastic play on the ball to force an incompletion and forces Dakota Ridge to take a field goal, going down 28 to 10 with four minutes and 50 seconds left in the half. Broomfield, they get the ball here. They have a drop and then back-to-back -back plays here. Um, ends in third and 11. Then there's a throw into double coverage by Cola Crew here, and Dakota Ridge gets an interception. So Dakota Ridge, they get the ball here. Receiver gets lit up on a late bubble throw, but gets bailed out with an imaginary helmet-to-helmet call uh, when really number four on this team, uh, Cannon Juarez, had a phenomenal hit. But they call it helmet-to-helmet -helmet here. I don't necessarily agree with it. But it does put Dakota Ridge in excellent position here as they get a few runs. And then Noah Triplett finishes the drive to make it 17-28 to with one minute left in the half. Broomfield with a minute left. They get a rush for a first. And then a face mask puts them near the 50-yard line. LaCrue connects to his guy Anthony Cobb here to have the ball on the 25 with 13 seconds left. But LaCrue throws across his body across the field for an interception to end the half. At halftime here, 28-17. to Broomfield here, I still feel that they are convincingly in control of this game, but it is encouraging to see, you know, Dakota Ridge get some runs here going to end this first half and pull this game within a couple of scores here. But to start the second half, Dakota Ridge starts with the football here, but they quickly go three and out as number 30 Biller here stuffs the keeper. Then Blake overthrows the receiver that's well covered and gets sacked and they have to punt. So Broomfield with the ball on their own 30-yard line. They have a few short runs and quick passes to gain a few, you know, first downs here. Uh, number 51 for Dakota Ridge does get a sack here uh, to push them back a little bit. But on third and 18, LaCrue has a nice toss to Anthony Cobb for the first down. But then Cobb withstands a hit and accelerates for the score, putting Broomfield up 34-17 with eight minutes in the third. Dakota Ridge, they have two short runs, and then Blake swings to Triplett, who fights forward for first, but eventually they do have to punt on this drive. And so Broomfield on their own 27. LaCrue, it's a speed option here. He fakes the pitch and then cuts back across the left side of the field and scores a 73-yard touchdown run, putting Broomfield up and away 41-17 with 4 minutes and 51 seconds left here. Dakota Ridge desperately needing a score to stay relevant in this game. They get the ball on their own 41-yard line, I believe. And, you know, on the on this drive, a pass gets tipped up and intercepted, but a blindside block negates a return. Um, we hope that the Dakota Ridge player who, you know, experienced this injury is okay, of course. We always hope for health and safety of players over anything else here at Playmakers Corner. But continuing on, Broomfield has the ball at the 46-yard line with four and a half minutes in the third. They have a run for a first, and then LaCrue throws for a first down on a perfectly timed pass. They eventually have to try and kick a field goal, and that is no good. 
Dakota Ridge with the ball on their own 20-yard line with 2 minutes and 56 seconds in the third. They do run, pass, run for a first, and they have a run that goes for a first. A screen pass gets them inside of the 35, but a legal man downfield brings it back. Uh, Noah Triplett runs for 10 yards after that penalty, and on third and six, they get stuffed at the line. To start the fourth quarter here, they have fourth and seven. Dakota Ridge bombs it deep, but it is intercepted. Broomfield with the ball at the 25. They eventually have to punt from their own seven, and then Dakota Ridge gets a return inside the 20, but somehow Broomfield gets called for a blindside block. There is some questionable refereeing in this game, and the ball is placed at the 10-yard line going in. But Blake Palladino here, he constantly throws low. I think it has to do with his follow-through. He's just ending his follow-through way, way too late, and that puts a lot of balls in the dirt. And they end up, you know, on this drive, they end up with no points. And so down 41 to 17, Broomfield gets the ball here, and Cola Crew rips off a 92-yard touchdown run. This would be the longest play of either team, and this has got to be one of the longest plays of the season. Cola Crew on the night, ending with seven carries for 148 yards and three scores. But Broomfield having multiple big-time runners. I mean, Caden Quintana, he has a long of 11. That's the smallest one of the night. Luke Francis, as I mentioned earlier, 43 yards on that touchdown run. Uh, Ryland Bomer here, 57 yards on a really long run. Cola Crew, 92 yards on that run. He also had a run of 73. The Eagles throw or rush for five touchdowns. Cola Crew throws for two touchdowns in seven of those touchdowns. And then that eighth touchdown was that scoop and score as they win this game 55 to 24. Dakota Ridge, maybe on panic alarm mode, just not playing very efficient offense, honestly. They have got to clean up the turnovers. Granted, Noah Triplett, he's still doing his thing. He had 22 carries for 173 yards and two scores. But all in all, the averages of this rushing attack are bad. I, I There's no other way to put it. This offensive line just could not get a push consistently on this Broomfield defensive front. Shout out to this Broomfield defensive front. Headlined by Garrett Keeler, 11 tackles, four of those being for loss. But also these linebackers that fly around the field very, very well. And then, you know, also in the secondary, Mikhail Benner here, three interceptions for Broomfield here. And then obviously Noah Biller with that scoop and score. But Mikhail Benner and Cola Crew, both uh, candidates here for Playmaker of the Week in a destructively impressive performance here. Broomfield looking ahead to league play here at 6-0. They have Aurora Central, Adam City, Fruita Monument, and Herod Heritage. They're two toughest matchups at the end of the season. Those should be very interesting here. Dakota Ridge, on the other hand, they head into league, and boy, they look way more vulnerable than they have in the past. They have got to be on their toes. Now, this wasn't the only game that we went to. I'm going to go ahead and pass it off to Simon to talk about the Fender Ridge Mountain Vista game. What's good, y'all? Welcome back to the Playmakers Corner Podcast. My name is Simon Villanos, a.k.a. Coach V., and I went to Thunder Ridge versus Mountain Vista on September 30th. That's a Friday. It is a pretty big rivalry game. Both these teams out of Highlands Ranch. Both of these teams with pretty good records. Thunder Ridge undefeated. Mountain Vista only losing one game. And so this was going to be a good one. This was a sold out game, by the way. And also a rainy uh, game. A pretty wet game as well. It did not really stop raining at all this entire game. It just like 
got lighter in rain and then started raining heavier, especially at the end. At the end, it rained the most. So just keep all of that in mind. I got to set the stage. So, you know, don't blame me here. But let's go ahead and get this thing started. And uh, let's uh, talk about it. So in the first quarter, Mountain Vista would receive and they would get set up at the 38 yard line to get things going and here's how it went they started up by running it up the middle with chris smith who gave them a nice four yard gain after that austin majewski finds a receiver short making it third and three not a big gain there but then Jack Blaze on the pitch just barely gets the first down on the left side and so that gets Mountain Vista going here after right after that um and granted it's still raining like you could definitely see the raindrops and whatnot but regardless austin Montezuski takes a shot deep it's one-on-one -on -one, but they go ahead and throw a pass interference call and that gives mountain vista a first down uh and they're now on the 37 crossing mid field and right after that to end this drive a great drive for mountain vista Austin Majuszewski finds Ja'Kai Mack for a big-time touchdown once again in one-on-one. -on -one. He goes ahead and beats his receiver this time, and that's good for a touchdown. Mountain Vista goes up 7-0 with about 9 minutes and 22 seconds left. After that, it looks like Mountain Vista does an onside kick to Thunder Ridge. Doesn't matter as uh, they eventually go ahead and recover that onside kick and get started here on the 30 four now on the first play cooper care for thunder ridge he's at quarterback he it looks like he fumbles the handoff or it was supposed to be some fake but regardless the ball comes out of his hand slips out and uh thunder ridge ends up recovering it making it second and 15 so not the greatest way to start this drive here um, after that, they try to run it up the middle. Mountain Vista's there. They go ahead and stuff that. And so that brings up a third and 14. And on third down, they try to pass it. It's not an accurate pass, and so it's incomplete. And so just like that, Thunder Ridge goes three and out, and they have to punt it. And Mountain Vista, uh, fielding this punt here, they go ahead and get started on the 50 to get this next drive started for them and so to start this one they go ahead and have a pretty healthy dose of chris smith just giving him the ball and letting him go to work here like i said it is raining so they're not trying to throw it too much here um but they do throw it uh to number 11 sean conway i want to say for another first down after chris smith gets them a first down and so that kind of gets things going here but Right after that, Aiden Olshan makes a pretty big play for Thunder Ridge. He sacks Austin Majuszewski, making it second and 12. And then fortunately for Mountain Vista, an encroachment call on Thunder Ridge makes it second and seven. After that, they go to the air again, and this time the ball kind of it, it kind of dies a little bit here. Like I said, it's pretty wet, and so it's a pretty low pass, and it's almost picked off, but for now... It's incomplete. Another penalty, an ineligible receiver penalty, makes the second and 12 anyways. And so, there you go. Uh, so, they replay the down. They run it up the middle. And it's third and 11. And then on third and 11, they go back to the air. 
aiming for the end zone, and it's number 21 for Thunderidge. That's Jake Young making a diving interception to go ahead and kill that drive there. Um, but the only problem is that he kind of slips and is not able to return this one. So Thunderidge takes over on the one backed up uh, against their own goal line, against their own red zone here. And so Thunderidge is in a pretty dangerous spot right here. They almost would have been better off if he didn't intercept it, almost. Uh, because if they do get a penalty in the red zone, then that's a safety or... Uh, you know, if they fumble it again, then that's a safety or whatever. And so they got to get out of the red zone. But before they do that, they get a false start. And so they get even closer to their own red zone. But here's what happened. They go ahead and call a quarterback sneak, which is really interesting with Cooper Kier. But he goes up the middle and then he bounces it outside off the left side for a 15-yard gain for a first down. Um, not the greatest tackling by Mountain Vista in this specific play here. But Thunder Ridge, they get out of the danger zone for now. And uh, they get a first down to go with that as well. And so Thunder Ridge, they go ahead and run it one more time to the right side. They get about four yards. But then right after that, uh, they try to run it again. And it looks like the handoff is fumbled. Um, at least from what I could see, it looks like the handoff is fumbled again, kind of just slips out of Cooper Kier's uh, hand here, and Carter Daniels gets a huge fumble recovery, he goes ahead and picks this thing up, and he's running towards the end zone, and Cooper Kier, you know, he's the only Thunder Ridge guy there, and so he is forced to try to make this tackle, but Carter Daniels kind of drags him, um, basically back to the one yard line here, where Cooper Kier is finally able to corral him and bring him down, which is pretty big, uh, at least in that moment, but Mountain Vista, they're in a pretty good spot, they take over on the one yard line, already in the red zone here, and so, before they can score though, Austin Modrzewski, he gets sacked by Caleb Keith, so that's a seven yard loss, after that Vista, they run it up uh, middle for a short three yard gain, and so that brings up third and six, but that's when number four for Mountain Vista that is Chris Smith, I believe. He goes ahead and punches it up the middle for a touchdown. And Mountain Vista takes the 14-0 lead with 2 minutes and 45 seconds left here in this game. Now, Thunder Ridge, their offense has been struggling, either going 3 and out or having a turnover so far in this game. Um, well, on the two drives they've had, and things don't exactly get too much easier. They do get a first down on this next drive. By the way, they start on the 15, uh, but they do get a first down um, to start the drive here. Um, it's just a dive up the middle, so there you go. That puts them on the 32, but... Another, they run another dive and that's stuffed. And then after that, uh, Cooper Kier, he drops back for a pass. But then he's sacked by number 95 of Mountain Vista. This is a really big play for Vista here. That is Ethan Duncan uh, coming up with a huge sack here. And so that kind of kills the vibe of this drive. And that brings up third and 15 right as the quarter ends. And so in the second quarter, it's third and 15. Um, they try to throw it. It's not a great throw, to be honest with you. Richard Okuno, the slot receiver, is open over the middle, but it is low and behind, and so it's incomplete, and so that brings up a punt. 
Um, not a three and out because they got a first down, but they did go three and out after that first down. And so Mountain Vista, uh, after the punt, they basically take over on the 50 because they do recover a muffed punt. Um, not because Thunder Ridge muffed it, but because uh, their returner caught it and then it slipped out. And so he had to fall on it. So they still take over on the 50 with a chance to go up by three scores. And here's how they do it. They give Thunder Ridge a pretty healthy dose of Jack Blaze, who's absolutely killing them on some of these outside runs here. Uh, just getting gains of five, seven, eight, so forth and so forth. And then they also give them a pretty good dose of Chris Smith as well who's just pounding it up the middle. And this whole drive, Thunder Ridge's front seven is kind of struggling to stop the run here. But eventually, Mountain Vista, they do get to the five-yard line. So it's first and goal here. Um, and this is where Thunder Ridge kind of gets a little bit of a break here. Um, there's a high snap, but... It is recovered by Mountain Vista. They do lose a couple yards. So instead of it being like, you know, first down on the five, first and goal on the five, it is now second and 15 on the goal. And so here's what happens after that. Austin Montrzewski, he drops back, tries to maneuver around, extending the play, extending the play a little bit too long. And he gets sacked by Jake Young and Sean Grove. And so that brings up a pretty good third and 22 as this Thunder Ridge defense is holding up pretty strong here in the red zone. But then on third and 22, Austin Montrzewski drops back, sees the blitz, Finds his tight end on the drag route. That's Alex Turpin. And Alex Turpin puts in he puts in a pretty good amount of work and makes it um, basically fourth down. He doesn't get the touchdown, but they are now on the two-yard line. Gets about a 20-yard reception here. And so Mountain Vista, they're going aggressive here. It's raining. They want to go for it. And so that's what they do. They go ahead and go for it. Fourth and two on the goal line. Austin Montrzewski drops back. He finds his guy, Ja'Kai Mack, making it a 21-0 lead after the short touchdown throw. There's about 8 minutes, 37 seconds left here in the second quarter. At this point, Mountain Vista is rolling here, and the raid hasn't gotten any easier. And so if Thunder Ridge wants to come back, they have to cut down on the turnovers and play a near-perfect game. And so... That's almost what they do here. And so to start this next draft, Thunder Ridge, they take over on the 26. And look, I'm going to be honest. This drive had a lot of penalties. First off, roughing the passer penalty. Uh, that was on first down here. And on that first down play, it was a swing pass that went nowhere. But that roughing the passer penalty, that's 15 yards and a first down. So Thunder Ridge, they move up a little bit. Right after that, uh, Thunder Ridge, you know, find themselves in a fourth down situation. It's fourth and two. They do try to get Manson Vista to jump off sides. They're not doing it, and so they're forced to call a timeout. And in this timeout, they run this play, or they draw up this play to run. And it's a dive up the middle. And so they do get the first down on the dive, but a face mask call on that adds on an additional 15 more yards so now they're on the 35 uh so there you go after that thunder ridge they run another play and it's a run and this one's a little controversial you know mountain vista they stack up the running back 
Um, but the refs take a really long time to call. Like, they take at least three or four extra seconds to call the running back down. I mean, he's not moving forward. At this point, he's getting driven backwards. And so in that time where the refs did not call the X, I mean, they did just, they just didn't call him down. Um, I guess someone grabbed uh, the Thunder Ridge players a face mask. And so they call another face mask on Mountain Vista, and so that's another 15 yards. At this point, Thunder Ridge has 45 yards of penalties here, which is crazy on this drive alone. And so there you go there. Um, but, you know, Thunder Ridge, they have the ball, they run it, it goes for nothing. That brings up second down. But there's another penalty, and they throw unnecessary roughness. This time it's on Thunder Ridge, though, and so it makes it a pretty... Pretty bad, first and 27 here. But, you know, Thunder Ridge, they're keeping calm. They're moving the ball. It's, you know, maybe not because um, of, of the plays, but the, the ball is moving, and that's what matters. And so they go ahead and they dial up a deep shot here to C.J. Reese. Cooper Carey taking a shot. C.J. Reese, he is in one-on-one, -on -one, and, you know, that's a big boy. He's 6'3", 200. You know, he could jump at the building, probably one of the best athletes on this Thunder Ridge team, and he goes ahead and catches the body and gets a big play for Thunder Ridge. This is a 22-yard pass, and so that makes it first and goal on the five-yard line. Thunder Ridge needed a big splash play like that, and C.J. Reese, he delivered, and so... Thunder Ridge, they're sticking to the run. They run it up the middle. He almost scores, but he's down to just on the one-yard line. And so it comes down to Thunder Ridge's fullback, I believe. That's Will Fisher. He goes ahead and he punches this one in and gets the touchdown for Thunder Ridge and gets them on the board as well. That's the most important thing here. Uh, they still trail 21-7, to but there is 3 minutes, 58 seconds left here in the second. Plenty of time to get a stop and then potentially get another score to make it a one-score game. And so here's what happens. Mountain Vista take over on the 20 after the touchback. Uh, Jack Blaze gets them a first down on the outside run like he did in the last drive to get this thing started. After that, a quick throw to Ja'Kai Mack. He gets another first down uh, across midfield, crossing this team um, through midfield here. After that, they get a run for five. It makes it second and fourth. Then Jack Blaze, he gets loose here on second and four. He bounces this run outside and gets a pretty nice 15-plus yard gain, about 20-yard gain. Uh, they would have been on the well they would have been in the red zone uh, but they probably would have been on the 10 or so or something like that but unfortunately for mountain vista a holding penalty calls that one back and makes it second and 15 so there you go uh, no worries there, though. You know, Mountain Vista, they run a dive, I assume, with Chris Smith. He gets about 14, making it second and one. But then a couple plays later, a third down, uh, they get stuffed. And so it's fourth and inches. And so Mountain Vista, they're going for it here. You know, the rain is picking up a little, so it's a, it's a little too far for a field goal anyways. But with the rain, that's not even really an option anymore even if they did want to take the field goal so they go for it they run a dive up the middle and thunder ridge's defense comes up big 
and stops them, forces a turnover on downs. And so Thunder Ridge, they take over on the 35. They have about a minute 41 seconds left here in the half to put something together. And so here's how it goes down. They try to run a screen pass. It's complete, but they took a little bit too long running the screen pass, I guess. And so Carter Daniels for Mountain Vista, he's flying all over the field, by the way, in this game, making a million tackles. He goes ahead and kills that for a pretty big loss. And so it's second and 21, an 11-yard loss on that screen pass. And so Cooper Kier drops back. He goes ahead and passes it over the middle. A nice, accurate pass here to C.J. Reese. And that goes for 20-plus yards as they get the first down and they cross midfield as well. A huge play by C.J. Reese here. After that, they go ahead and they pass it again. And the refs, they call a holding call on the defense. That gives Thunder Ridge 10 yards and a first with about 45 seconds left. And then Cooper Keir. Drops back again, and he finds C.J. Reese over the middle. And this time, C.J. Reese does the rest. Makes a couple defenders miss, and he makes magic happen here as he goes ahead and runs this one in for the touchdown, a 31-yard touchdown. Great catch uh, on this great route here. And then just a good job making people miss and doing the rest, carrying Thunder Ridge on this drive here as Thunder Ridge cuts into this lead 21 to 14. Um, Mountain Vista only leading by seven here with about 36 seconds left. Now, it looks like Mountain Vista was going to try to take a shot downfield, um, but Thunder Ridge gets a huge sack, and so that basically runs out the rest of the clock. And so at halftime, we got Mountain Vista leading 21 to 14. Did have a 21-point lead at one point, but Thunder Ridge, you know, making the best out of their situation and going ahead and cutting into that. And so, here in the third quarter, you know, Thunder Ridge, they get the ball to start. They start on the 34 here. Uh, they get a nice first down thanks to their big tight end. Zach Smith makes a top-shelf catch, absolutely just going up and getting it, and then leans forward for that first down. And then right after that, Thunder Ridge gets a huge break here, one of the biggest breaks that they've had all game here. And it's made by Cole Hanchett, number seven, who goes 55 yards to the house on a big time touchdown for Thunder Ridge and he ties this game after the PAT and it's 21-21 with 10 minutes and 37 seconds left here. Now Mountain Vista they've been struggling ever since scoring their third touchdown of the game and it doesn't get any easier as they basically go three and out thanks to a huge Thunder Ridge sack by Ethan Hill, who goes ahead and forces that three and out by getting that third down sack. And so Thunder Ridge, they go ahead and field this thing, and they take over on the 50 here. And so they get a little bit of something going thanks to Cooper Keir finding Richard Okuno. This was a great throw against pressure, by the way. But he finds Richard Okuno uh, for 20-plus yards in a first down. He makes a nice, tough catch near the sideline. Uh, so there you go there. Um, another run would go ahead and give Thunder Ridge the first down here as they do cross midfield. But a couple plays later, it is third and 15. Uh, was third and nine, but a false start made it third and 14. Sorry, not third and 15. And so here we go. Cooper Kier, he rolls out, takes a little bit too long here, and he gets sacked by Devin Roll and Carter Daniels. And so that brings up fourth and 20 here. 
And um, Thunder Ridge, they decide to go for it, which is a little interesting here. But Cooper here, he drops back, doesn't really see anything he likes. And so he tries to scramble for this thing. And he almost gets it, but he is pushed out short. There is a penalty. It's a holding penalty. So even if he did get it, they would have probably called it back. But he did it. And so Mountain Vista goes ahead and declines it. And they take over on the 16. There's about six minutes left here in this game. But, like I said, Mountain Vista, they are struggling. It's third and three uh, after a couple plays, but unfortunately, a false start, a costly false start is thrown on Vista, and so that makes it third and eight here. Um, and so on third and eight, Austin Montrezewski, he tries to find his best playmaker, that's Ja'Kai Mack, um, and he goes deep. But Jake Young, he does a good job covering Ja'Kai Mack. Kind of squeezes him out of bounds here on this play. No, uh, not, no pass interference. Don't get it twisted. You know, there's ways as a corner to squeeze the receiver out of bounds and kind of kill that route here. And that's what he does. Does a good job here. And so this pass, I mean, it, it was out of bounds anyways. And so it's incomplete. And Thunder Ridge forces another three and out. A second straight three and out actually here. And so... They have the ball. They're trying to get something going. Um, it's not great, though. A holding penalty kind of kills them on 2nd and 13 here. And so that makes it 2nd and 23. Then Carter Daniels, he goes ahead and stuffs Richard Okuno on the end round. And so that makes it 3rd and 25. Uh, not the greatest situation here uh, if you're the offense. But, you know, they try to take a deep shot here. But it is not... I mean, it's, it's out of bounds. Like, there is no way the receiver is going to catch it uh, or even be able to make a play. And so it's 4th and 25. Like I said, a tough situation. You know, the holding penalty really kills that vibe. And so they go ahead and punt it. That's a 3 and out for Mountain Vista here. Uh, and so Mountain Vista, they're trying to get something going here. They don't want to go too cold. And they're trying to put away Thunder Ridge and take the lead. It is still tied 21-21. And so this drive they uh, start here takes place kind of near the end of the third quarter. Austin Mondrzewski, he passes it to number 20 Cooper Wilson for a first down. And that kind of gets them going here. Uh, right before the quarter ends, it is third in inches. And so that's where we pick up here in the fourth. But before they can run and play, they go ahead and call a legal substitution on Mountain or yeah on Mountain Vista, making it third and five. Uh, but it doesn't matter as Austin Montrezewski finds his receiver Japri Jennings on the slant for a first down here. Couple plays later, it is second and ten. Austin Montrezewski drops it back. He senses the pressure very well. It's coming from his blind side. Uh, well. I want to, it's coming from both sides, technically. And so he goes ahead and he dips on this scramble, runs up the middle, and then goes ahead and tries to bounce this thing outside. And he does and gets a nice 24-yard gain on this very long scramble. Gets Mountain Vista past midfield and also gets, the most importantly, the first down. Now, here we go. You know, this team, they are rolling here. They get a couple nice runs by Chris Smith. He gets them a first down. Uh, Ja'Kai Mack, he gets a nice diving catch. Uh, it was a short catch, but he gets them another first down. And so, in a bit here, they are in the red zone. They're about on the 15-yard line. And so, they run it with Jack play with Jack Blaze. Excuse me. It's a run outside, but there is a penalty thrown on Thunder Ridge. That's a face mask. And so... 
Mountain Vista, they're moved up uh, a bit more here. And so it's first down on the four. They're on the goal line here. Uh, and so this is what goes down. They run it with Chris Smith. He stops short on the pitch, making it second in two. Isn't quite able to get it in. Then Austin Majerzewski on the keeper. He kind of gets popped out of bounds here. Tries to find a opening running outside. And he doesn't find it. And so that goes for a loss. It's third and four here. Then under. It's third down. Majerzewski. He goes ahead and he throws it. And he throws it to a wide open Sean Conway here. But he drops it. And so that brings up a fourth down here and on fourth down they elect to pass it it looks like austin majazuski has a receiver wide open or at least i mean he's open he has a step on his corner but jake young goes ahead and makes a diving deflection to go ahead and save the touchdown here save thunder ridge and force a turnover on downs and so here we go thunder ridge they now have a chance here in the fourth quarter there's nine minutes left to go ahead and get a, you know, get get a score of their own here. And so here's how it goes down. It's third and seven here. They go ahead and uh, call. It looks like it's a read option. And Cooper Keir, he gets loose. And he gets a pretty good 15-plus uh, yard gain. And a first down that will get them outside of the danger zone here. Because they were kind of backed up into their own end zone. Uh, a couple plays later, they go back to Cooper here, another read option. But this time, he goes 40-plus yards here, not to the house, but to the 18-yard line. They are now in the red zone. Thunder Ridge getting a big break here, and so here's what happens. They go ahead and roll out Cooper here. He throws it to Richard Okuno. He catches the ball. Uh, it looks like he's about to score, but he is just stopped short by Kelly Roselle, uh, and so he, you know, he makes it second and two here. Uh, they go ahead and run it up the middle with Eric Sauer. Uh, he makes it third and inches, and then this is where Mountain Vista comes up big, making a huge play here, and it is Carter Daniels as Thunder Ridge, they run it, and Carter Daniels is there, and he stuffs it, and he gets a huge tackle for loss, making it fourth and three. Thunder Ridge, once again, it's fourth down. They try to get Mountain Vista to jump off sides here. Um, they don't. And so they call another timeout. Uh, the first timeout of the half here. And so here we go. Fourth and three. You know, coming out of the timeout, they go ahead and they elect to pass it. It looks like they have a player open, but the ball is... It's, it's late, to be honest with you, and a little short here. And so it's deflected, and Mountain Vista takes over. And so Mountain Vista, you know, they're driving. They have some things going their way. Uh, they do get a first down off of a holding penalty. That is thrown on a Thunder Ridge defender. But then after that drive, Thunder Ridge gets another pretty big break here. The ball is tipped at the line. And number two for Thunder Ridge, that is Aiden Olshan here. The senior linebacker goes ahead and grabs that and gets the interception as the offense takes over, killing what was a promising Mountain Vista drive. And so Thunder Ridge, they have a chance to score here. There's about 2 minutes 41 seconds left. They're on the 45. Uh, it's still tied. It's 21-21. And so here's what goes down here. 
couple plays uh, into this drive. It is third and eight. They go ahead and they throw it over the middle. This time it's on the money. Richard Okuno, he grabs this one. He gets the first down uh, on a big time first down for Thunder Ridge to keep this drive alive. With less than two minutes left uh, here in this game, Cooper, he scrambles, makes it third and six here. Uh, that's where Thunder Ridge would eventually call a timeout after that Cooper Kier scramble. Uh, also, just keep in mind, it's third and six, so a couple plays happened. Uh, didn't matter leading up to this point. And so, after the timeout, there's about 50 seconds remaining here in this game. And so, coming out of the second timeout, it's third and six. Cooper Kier drops back, finds his tight end, Zach Smith, over the middle again. He gets a nice first down there. They go ahead and go hurry up here. Cooper Kier, he drops back for another pass, and he gets sacked. Um, it's a bad sack to take, to be honest with you, uh, because Mountain Vista, they go ahead and they get him and this clock is running. And so Thunder Ridge, they are forced to call their last timeout with about 23.8 seconds left. And so Thunder Ridge out of the timeout, they elect to run it here, which is pretty risky because you don't have any timeouts, but they get to the 16 yard line. And so they go ahead and they spin. It here, making it fourth down with about nine seconds left, and they are in field goal range. But at this point, the rain is picking up, it is heavier than it's ever been in this entire game, at least leading up to this point, because it only gets heavier from here on out. And so they go ahead and they kick it, and it goes through. But Mountain Vista called a timeout right before the snap, and so they ice the kicker, and so. They do it again. Here we go. Round two. This is for the win. The Thunder Ridge kicker lines this one up. He kicks it. It looks like the kick is deflected just slightly at the line. But still, though, the kick almost gets there, but is just a yard or two short. At least from where I was at, it looked like it was just a little bit short as... Uh, Mountain Vista, they survive this one as, uh, you know, that, that timeout came in really handy and whatnot. And so they take over on the 16. There is five seconds left. Mountain Vista likes to go to overtime. So they just run the ball and run this clock out. And so here in overtime, each team, they get a chance to score here. You know, uh, it's college rules basically. And they start on the 10. So that's all you really need to know. And so Thunder Ridge, they get the ball first. They're on the 10. And it's Cole Hanchett who comes up big on the first play of overtime right up the middle. Gets a touchdown. And they go ahead and kick the PAT, making it 28-21. to Now Mountain Vista, the pressure is on. They have to score a touchdown. And they have to get the PAT just to stay alive. And so here's how their drive goes down. It's not as smooth as a, you know, a 10-yard touchdown, but this is what happens here. So, first down, Majazuski, he scrambles and he throws it to the back of the end zone here. He has a receiver, he's open, but he just barely misses. It's just a little bit too high for the receiver who tries to high point this thing. Uh maybe an inch or two too high. And so that is tough there. And so it brings up third and seven here. And so Austin Majuszewski drops back. He throws it, but the ball is tipped at the line of scrimmage. Uh, doesn't come anywhere near any of the receivers because it's tipped. And so that brings up fourth down here. And on fourth down, it is pouring here. 
This is Mountain Vista's last gasp, it feels, until Austin Montrezewski, he drops back, and he throws a strike to Sean Conway for the touchdown, and they go ahead and kick the PAT, tying this game one more time at 28-28. And so here we go, we're going into double overtime here and so to start double overtime mountain vista this time they start on offense and on first down um the snap it's bobbled it looks a little bit too high here but also you know it's raining pretty hard at this point and so it's bobbled uh but vista they go ahead and fall on it and thunder ridge gets a nice tackle for loss or at least that's what it will go down in the stat sheet so it's second and 13 after that Montrezuski. He throws the out route to Japri Jennings. He gets a nice gain here. Makes it third and five here. And then here on third and five, they like to pass it. And Majuszewski has a player open here. But another diving deflection makes that incomplete. And so that brings up fourth down here. And so... They go ahead and bring out the field goal team. For a minute there in that play, it looked like the receiver had a chance at it, but the ball was deflected. So there you go. Uh, but anyways, Mountain Vista, they bring out the field goal team. They kick it. It's good. They take the 31-28 to 28 lead. At this point, they now have to stop Thunder Ridge from scoring a touchdown. And so here's what happened. Thunder Ridge, they have a chance to either match it or win it. And so here's what happens next they run it twice and on both times you know they get minimal games here and so it is third and six here after those two runs and so it's third down here thunder ridge they go ahead and snap it but the snap is way short it is not a good snap and so there's a scramble for this thing here uh it, it's gonna be a, a obviously a tackle for loss that's what's gonna go down for once thunder ridge recovers it and they do but it is revealed that Mountain Vista actually called a timeout before the snap. So the botch snap does not count. The timeout erases it. And so it's third and six again. Um, Thunder Ridge just barely avoiding, uh, you know, disaster there. And so here we go. It's third and six. They throw the slant route. And it is incomplete here. But... They do throw a penalty on Mountain Vista, and it is holding, and so that goes half the distance to the goal line, and so it is third and about three here. They get another chance here on third down, and on third down, this is their third chance on third down. Thunder Ridge, they make the best of it. They go ahead and hand it off to number 42. That is Will Fisher and he punches it in for the touchdown and for the win and just like that here in double overtime Thunder Ridge comes back from down 21 to 0 in the heavy rain and wins this thing 34 to 31 over their rivals Mountain Vista so absolutely crazy game here I do want to shout out a couple people uh first First off, uh, Mountain Vista's Carter Daniels, he did an excellent job at linebacker. He was flying all over the place. He was putting Thunder Ridge in a lot of very difficult situations and whatnot. And so huge shout out to him. And then obviously huge shout out to Thunder Ridge's running back, uh, Cole Hanchett. He made some pretty big plays here. That 50 plus yard run uh, to start the half. 
uh, the second half, that is. That was pretty big there, so he did his thing there. Also, that touchdown to start overtime as well on the first play, that's pretty big here as well. And then, of course, C.J. Reese, he did his thing. Uh, Richard Okuno, he made some plays as well. Um, it was a really good game here, but a lot of penalties a lot of penalties were thrown against Manson Vista. I'm not even going to cap there. Uh, were they valid most of the time? Yeah, I would think they were pretty valid most of the time. There were maybe one or two that I wasn't quite sure on, to be honest with you. But Thunder Ridge, they played a pretty clean game here. Uh, they only got, like, one turnover on Mountain Vista, and that was that tipped interception that didn't end up being any points anyways, but they still came back from being down 21, and they won this thing in overtime, and that was huge now that ending was pretty crazy there as well with those three third downs there but hey a win is a win thunder ridge they go ahead and they stay undefeated six and oh they avoid a pretty narrow upset here over mountain vista but next week they get to play castleview on thursday and that should be a pretty um i mean that should be a pretty easy dub in my opinion so there you go mountain vista they drop unfortunately to four and two here not bad i mean this was definitely a winnable game but being up 21 to zero you gotta put him away i'm not really gonna blame the defense so much here as i'm gonna blame the offense because the offense went three and out a couple of times here um and you just can't do that you know you got to get a couple first downs. You got to run out most of this clock here because I feel like if they did run out a lot of this clock, then they would have been in a better situation uh, here anyways. But unfortunately, they lose to start league play. But next week, they do play Rock Canyon. That's a tough team here. You know, if they beat him, that's going to go a long way in helping them make the playoffs here. But for now... Thunder Ridge, they get this dub here, and they win in double overtime, 34-31. Hello, everyone. So, I want to preface today's recaps with a couple of things. First, I'm currently coming off of a cold. As such, I'm sorry if I sound a bit nasally during today's episode. Second, this was the first game of the inaugural Community Classic at Canvas Stadium at Colorado State University, which was really cool to be at. Lori from the Athletic Department at Pooter School District 60 said that the district will rotate teams playing at Canvas every year, so next year, Timnath and Wellington may play under the CSU Brights. Additionally, during halftime of both of these games, the unified teams combined with the flag teams for all four of these schools played four downs on each side of the ball. This was a really cool gesture, and I hope that this carries into next year as well. This series included the first win at Canvas Stadium for any team at any level, which came from the first matchup of the night between the Rocky Mountain Lobos and the visiting Pooter Impalas. Rocky Mountain started this game on defense, and after an opening kick touchback by Danny Krieger, Miles Hall opened things with a tackle for loss. Jordan DeLapp then got a tackle, which helped to force a punt. Abe Chatilla then ran the ball, and after a third and three, Chatilla ran for a first down. At this point, it became quite evident that this offense runs through Chatilla. After some great blocking by BYU commit Ethan Thomason, Chatilla then converted a 4th and 1 for a first down. After a false start then that brought up a 1st and 15, Cody Arnett ran, followed by Owen Powers. After an incomplete pass by Gabe Brook, Krieger was forced to punt. Zach Pifo had some great field awareness and stopped the ball at the 1, preventing a touchback. 
After playing solid defense, Rocky Mountain forced a punt. And on offense, Chatilla ran for eight yards, but then a fumble put the Lobos back on defense. Will Pryor got a deflection, and the team defended the pass well, but they allowed a couple of big plays. A face mask then pushed the Lobos further back, which helped contribute to them giving up a running touchdown with 137 left to go in the quarter. Powers ran for four yards, followed by Chatella getting a first down, and then four more yards to end the first quarter. To open the second, Brooke threw a first down pass, followed by Chatella running through a whole lot of contact for quite a bit of distance. Chatella then ran for a first down, and then again for five. Powers caught a 30-yard pass to get the Lobos onto the one-yard line, and Chatilla ran in the touchdown. Krieger then hit the PAT to tie the game at 7 with 8.24 left in the half. This was the last time that this game was tied. The ensuing kickoff went wide left, and Gio Marconi got a face mask penalty on the return. However, Marconi made up for it and immediately got a tackle on the following play, followed by a tackle by Mike DeLapp. A sack by Will Pryor then forced a punt. On offense, Rocky Mountain allowed a sack, but Chatilla brought the ball back 7 yards. On a third and ten, Chatilla got another seven, but Krieger punted once more on the fourth and three. A blindside penalty on the Lobos brought the Impalas closer, but a tackle at the line of scrimmage helped make up for it. Mike DeLapp had some extremely good coverage, getting within inches of getting a deflection. However, they still allowed a run and throw, which then led to a touchdown on what was almost a sack with 24 ticks left on the clock. A false start after the kickoff made it a 1st and 15, and the following handoff fell short going into the half. During halftime, the unified teams for both of these schools played and both teams scored, which, might I say, was really fun to watch and something that I was not expecting going into the night. Entering the third quarter, the Lobos started with possession, and Caleb Wolf got the kickoff. Chatilla then had a 25-yard run, but a false start in the next play helped with a 2nd and 13. After a tackle for loss, the Lobos decided they were going for it, and after a timeout with 9.17 left, they threw an interception. Nate Eliason got a tackle, but despite that, they could not stop the Impala offense. Wolf got a tackle, followed by Dawson Everett, but Rocky Mountain almost led in a touchdown. They got bailed out by an ineligible man downfield penalty, and then they led in a running touchdown with 4 minutes 8 seconds to go in the quarter. The following kickoff bounced off of a guy's arms and out of bounds at the 3-yard line. This was then followed by a strip fumble that was brought back for a touchdown by the Impalas with 3.59 left in the third. Brooke ran for a first down, Chatilla ran for short, and then I saw what, if it was the coach's design, was one of the dumbest plays I've ever seen, and if not, was one of the laziest plays I have ever seen on a football field. Brooke faked the handoff to Chatilla, and then leisurely strolled 15 feet to his right before the defense figured it out and started going his way. He then continued to briskly take a walk and proceeded to throw the pass 10 feet over the receiver's head. Needless to say, this trick play led to a punt. Rocky Mountain played some solid defense, and after a shared tackle by Eliason and Marconi, they closed the third. The Lobos opened the fourth by forcing a turnover on downs, and Powers got a good run in, but a holding call brought it back. Chatilla got a run for five, which was facilitated by Thomason running through about five people, and Chatilla ran for a short first down, but that was then negated by another interception. The Lobos then got a group tackle, followed by forcing a punt. 
This was recovered by Brooke and taken 10 yards. Chatilla got a catch but was tackled, followed by Brooke running for four, and then there was a fumble that was recovered by Brooke on their own five. After a false start, Krieger punted once more, and it went out at the 18. Bad defense led to a running touchdown with 9.48 left in the game. Despite Chatilla running a lot, the run was not working for Rocky Mountain. Chatilla managed to bring up a fourth and one and then got the first down, but a personal foul after the play helped to lead to a second and 25. Arnett ran for short and then again for a first down, and then there was another interception, which was basically it for Rocky Mountain in this one. The defensive playmaker of the game for the Lobos was Mike DeLapp. Of the defensive players for the Lobos, Mike DeLapp made the largest tangible impact. His play was highly disruptive, largely due to his ability to put pressure on the opposing quarterback. He was often the guy with his hand closest to getting deflections, and he was always close to getting to the quarterback. I always look for the QB's motion and what he's doing with his hips, says DeLapp, and I'm just going to practice and do whatever coach tells me going into next week. The offensive player of the game for the Lobos was Ethan Thomason. The recent commit, Thomason, is going to be at the next level for a reason. He looked like one of those Little League players who are totally 12 years old and have an 825 batting average. His play was the main force, taking pressure off of Brooke and opening holes for Chatilla. It would have been interesting to see Thomason on the defensive side of the ball, but I understand that would be an injury risk at this point in his career. Ultimately, though, his offensive ability was the main driver behind the score for the Lobos. Rocky Mountain's playmaker of the game in this one was Abe Chatilla. Chatilla is a really good player, and was the engine through which the Rocky Mountain offense ran. Chatilla ran for the singular touchdown for Rocky Mountain during this game, and ran for over 100 yards on the night. His speed is extremely impressive, and he had an eye for finding holes in the defense, and was really difficult to slow down over the course of this game. Now, on to Pooter. The Pooter Impalas started this game with possession, and they got off to a quick start with Quentin Harms throwing a pass to Logan Carell for 9 yards. Jordan Neeson then followed this by running for a first down. There was a pass to Neeson for 1, and then to Jones Thomas for 2 yards, which made it so that Drake Miller would punt. Which, might I add, who let the punter have number 69? Drake, if you're listening to this, how? Evan Griffiths got a tackle, followed by Sage Camerand, Brody Van Cleve, and Ryan Vandiver. This was then followed by a timeout with five minutes left in the quarter. Griffiths got a push out, which helped force a punt, which was recovered by the Lobos just short of the touchback at the one-yard line. After an incompletion, an almost sack, and a third and ten on the one that bounced off a guy's hands, Miller then punted once more, with it going out at the 45, which was a great play and it looked intentional, and it kept the Lobos from trying to return the ball. Then, Pooter forced a fumble, which was recovered by Van Cleve. Camerand got a five-yard run, followed by Thomas getting 15 yards through contact. Immediately after I wrote down that Harms was not on it this night, he proved me wrong by getting a 15-yard scramble throw to Colton Mills Younger. Camerand got another 6, followed by his getting a touchdown run. Mills Younger then hit a PAT with 137 left in the quarter. Mills Younger then kicked a touchback, and Thomas got a tackle, as did Griffiths, to close the first. After a painful-looking tackle by Trevor McFadden, Camerand got a wraparound tackle to stop a first down to open the second. Thomas then saved a touchdown on a tackle, and the Impalas had a solid goal line stand. 
Despite this, they allowed a one-yard rushing touchdown with 8.24 left in the half. Camerand got the kickoff return 10 yards, and then Neeson got a run 8 yards. He then got a first down run, followed by a timeout with 6.54 left. They then got a false start, had an incompletion, and allowed a sack, which led to another punt. Van Cleve got a sack, and a tackle by Correll forced a punt. A blindside penalty for Griffiths on a massive block on the return set the Impalas back, but Harms made a good pass to Mills Younger for 11. On a scramble, he then got a 15-yard pass off to Correll, followed by Camerand, getting 15 yards through three men worth of contact. Harms then got off a short throw to Correll for a six-yard touchdown. Unfortunately, there was then a false start in the extra point attempt with 24 seconds left. Griffiths then closed out the half with a tackle. Mills Younger started the second half with a more shallow kick, followed by tackles by Thomas, Griffiths, and Vandiver. Camerand and Correll then forced a fourth down with a shared tackle, along with a timeout with 9.17 left in the third. When the Lobos went for it, Neeson then got the interception. Camerand ran for nine, and Harms passed it to Thomas. Harms then got to Mills Younger for a first down. Camerand then got another 12 yards, but a penalty brought it back five. The following touchdown got called back for an ineligible man downfield, and then a delay of game made it first and 20. After a pass for 11 yards, the Impalas got timeout with 4.15 left in the third. Cameron then got a touchdown on an 11-yard run, and Mills Younger hit the PAT with 4.08 left. The kickoff went out at the three, and then Jones Thomas got a strip fumble off of a high snap and returned it for the touchdown with 3.59. Mills Younger hit the PAT, and then the kickoff was a touchback. Neeson got a tackle, followed by Griffiths, which helped force a punt. Thomas got a 40-yard return on the punt, and after a timeout with 107, Thomas had a fancy run for short to end the third. Pooter opened the fourth with a turnover on downs, but Neeson got a tackle along with Jaden Simmons, followed by a short tackle by Van Cleve and Cassius Garcia. Neeson then caught another interception. He ran for short, but after a third and five and an illegal formation on a punt, Camerand got a heads-up tackle. Van Cleve then got a sack, which helped force a punt. Neeson ran twice, and after a timeout with 4.54 in the game, Neeson ran for a tutty. Mills Younger then hit the PAT with 4.48 left. He then had another touchback kickoff, and after a tackle for loss by Thomas, a tackle by Mills Younger, another tackle by Thomas, and another by Griffiths, Vandiver caught an interception to close out the game. Now, the defensive playmakers of the game for this contest. When I say that defensive playmaker of the game was close, I mean that it was a closer shave than with the sharpest razor in the world. And it was a three-way race between Brody Van Cleve, Evan Griffiths, and Jones Thomas. However, Thomas ended up taking the cake just barely. While Van Cleve did have bigger plays, and Griffiths had what felt like more tackles, Thomas, who was being recruited by Colorado Mesa, Shadron State, and CU, had the right combination of big plays, and many of them, to warrant defensive player of the game. Honestly, though, it is dealer's choice between these three. I just have fun, fly around, and get to the ball, says Thomas. My goal is to get every tackle. The offensive playmaker of the game for this one was Colton Mills Younger. Mills Younger had a lot of good movement on the offensive side of the ball, catching it a lot, running it a lot, and hitting his PATs. There is a reason that Mills Younger is being pursued by Shadron State and CSU Pueblo to play at the next level. 
His frame and ability in many areas of the game are very desirable. I just learn what the coaches say and keep playing, says Mills Younger. I love my teammates and we're a family out there. The playmaker of the game for this one was Jordan Neesant. What can be said about the senior running back that hasn't already been said? Well, he made me five bucks after I bet on him having two or more interceptions. He's good at finding holes in the defense, and when he's on defense, good luck getting past him. His part of the field is a definite no-fly zone, and he had himself a hell of a night. We've been getting better every week, says Neeson. We've been winning by larger and larger margins, and it's been pretty great for us. Now, for the overall game summary. Unfortunately, this game was decided relatively early. The Impalas looked much better than they did to start the season against Castleview, and though I haven't seen the Lobos play before this, I can see why they're at 500. Pooter just has a lot of talent on both sides of the ball, and based on how they do in their league, they may host a playoff matchup. Rocky Mountain runs their offense through Chatilla, and they fell into the Colorado trap of relying on the run. When they threw, the receivers were not warmed up, and neither was the quarterback's arm, leading to three interceptions. This meant that the defense could shut down the main source of Rocky Mountain's offense in the run, and Rocky Mountain couldn't do much about it. The 5-1 Impalas move on to play the Fairview Knights next week to continue their league play, and Rocky Mountain, now 3-3, three three, will play the Fort Collins Lambkins next week to try to pick up another win. Before I start this portion of the recap about the game between Fort Collins and Fossil Ridge, I do have to tell you all something. Between the Rocky Mountain Pooter game and this one, I decided to try to get something to eat. The second I sat down in the press box with 30 seconds left before this game was going to start, I spilled my spray all over the table, meaning that I missed a good portion of the forced quarter while trying to clean it up. For that, I am sorry, all Lambkin and Sabercat players, coaches, and fans. That is my bad, but I really did not want to leave the CSU press box a mess on my first time up there. Thank you to Lori from Pooter School District 60 and Kyle from CSU for helping me out with that. Now, on to the game. Fort Collins started this game with possession, and quarterback Easy Campos got off a quick pass to Alex Augustine. After a long pass and a timeout with 9.56 left, Joel Lopez had to punt, which went out at the 37. Quincy Elmore got a tackle, followed by the Lambkins, allowing a long touchdown run with 7.52 left in the first. After a first down run, Kevin Lozano got a four-yard run, and then Logan Helgoth made a pass to Nicky McGuire for 25 yards. However, an incompletion and a false start meant that they were at 2nd and 15. Josiah Elmore had a short run, but Holding brought it back to 3rd and 22. McGuire got tackled, and then the Lambkins had to punt. Despite tackles from Jackson Barron and DeMarco Sanchez-Ferguson, Fort Collins then allowed a touchdown with 41 seconds left in the quarter. Elmore then had a run to end the first. Elmore then had a short run to open the second to make a third and two, but after getting tackled for loss, Fort Collins had to punt. Joe Van Meter got a tackle, followed by Elia Torres and Barron sharing one, which helped force a punt. CJ Johnson had a catch and go for nine yards, and then he ran for the first down. A holding call made it second and nine, and then Joe Cottingham caught a seven-yard pass to make it fourth and two. 
The Lambkins were gonna go for it, but there was a false start, forcing them to punt. Lopez's punt then went 60 yards, where Barron pushed out the return. Van Meter got a tackle, Barron had good defense, and Alex Cifuentes was inches away from getting a sack. Sean Toger pushed out a run, but the four Collins allowed a touchdown with 4-0-1 left. McGuire then came in a quarterback and honestly shocked me. He ran it for five, got it to Johnson for the first down, ran for 15, ran for 45 on a sneak, and then carried in a touchdown. Lopez hit the PAT with 2.22 remaining in the half. Lopez then had a 65-yard kickoff, which was a touchback. Fort Collins could not stop the long run, and then allowed a touchdown with two minutes, one second left on the clock. After a th throw to Andrew Leeming for short, there was a tackle for loss, and Lopez had to punt again, which, again, went 60 yards. The defensive possession to close the half was rough, with a roughing the passer, unnecessary roughness, interrupted by a tackle by Toger, but then a pass interference to allow a touchdown with 16 talks left on the clock. Barron received the kickoff for 10, and then McGuire ran for 25 to close the half. Lopez had another touchback kickoff, and then Sanchez Ferguson got a tackle for loss. A key physical tone setter in Chris Lozano got hurt, and Foco allowed another running touchdown with 11 minutes left in the third. Augustine got a catch for five, and Campos tossed one to Johnson for the first down. After two straight incompletions, Augustine had a good catch-and-go to bring up a fourth and two. They went for it, and McGuire got the first down. Campos ran for short, but after a throw to McGuire for eight, the Lambkins still got a turnover on downs. They then immediately allowed a 56-yard touchdown, with seven minutes, two seconds left in third. McGuire got the rock five yards, and then Campos passed to Cottingham for the first down. McGuire then caught and ran for a 60-yard touchdown of his own. Lopez then hit the PAT with 521 in the quarter. Abraham Rigaldo got a tackle, and then the Lambkins got bailed out by a penalty on what would have been a 57-yard touchdown run. McGuire got a hard tackle, and then Van Meter got a tackle to force a punt. McGuire had a fancy spin move for 6 yards, making it a third and four. Campos then made a 40-yard pass to Cottingham, who was hurt when he got tackled. McGuire then gained 9 on a sneak play, and then Campos made a 15-yard pass to Augustine for the touchdown to end the third. To open the fourth, after a pass interference call, Toger got a tackle for loss, and then Augustine caught an interception. There was an illegal forward pass, McGuire got a first down pass, and a touchdown by McGuire got called back for holding. An illegal formation called back a 35-yard pass, making it second and 20. And from here, the game was basically over with a sack, three laterals on one play, where a guy had a no-look over his own head which looks like it plays straight out of Madden or 2K, and an unsportsmanlike conduct call. The defensive playmaker of the game for the Lambkins was Joe Van Meter. Van Meter was the main defensive force for Fort Collins during this game, as he was all over the field getting tackles and all around just messing guys up. The senior captain is doing his best to show the young guns how to do it before he graduates, and I dare say he is doing pretty well. The playmaker of the game for Fort Collins was Nicky McGuire. McGuire very much looked like the best player during this game for the Lambkins, not just due to his receiving, but due to his play in the pocket. His speed honestly made him look like Lamar Jackson, and I am extremely confused as to why they didn't play him at quarterback more during the game. 
His run game was superb, and he reminded me a bit of Tanner Gray in his ability to fake defenses during a handoff. To quote McGuire, I just look for green space. I've been on the field for a little bit, so I kind of know what the opposition is going to do and how they're going to play it. I follow my blockers and get some of those pulls at QB. Going against bigger guys at running back, I just do the best I can with in-game reps. There's only so many ways to practice for guys like that when you don't have those guys to run against. Now for Fossil Ridge. Fossil Ridge started this game on defense and played solidly on that side of the ball, despite an early encroachment penalty. They were able to force an early punt, though. On offense, Colton Pawlak threw to Trek Keyworth for 5, and then Pawlak ran for 15. Pawlak then ran again for short, followed by another run, this one for 43 yards and the tutty. Air Force Academy commit Bryce Olson hit the PAT with 7.52 in the first, and after a touchback kickoff, Connor Vickars had good coverage, followed by Tanner Isom getting a tackle. Vickars got a tackle for loss, which helped force a punt. Keyworth caught a pass for first down, which was facilitated by blocking from Olsen. After a long incompletion, there was then a throw to someone whose name sounded like Puehler, but I couldn't tell exactly who. Paul Lack ran for 15 and then ran for a touchdown with 41 seconds left. The PAT was off, but the kickoff was a touchback to end the first quarter. The second quarter started with Sidney King getting a strong, almost textbook-like tackle for loss, which helped force a punt. Olsen caught a first down pass, but a false start, a holding, and an incompletion made it third and 25. And even a catch-and-go by Dominic Leone for 10 couldn't save it, and the Sabercats had to punt. Griffin Hinckley got a tackle, but on the forced punt there was a roughing the kicker call. Paul Lack ran for first down, and again for short, before Jake Toshoff ran for another first down. An almost sack led to an incompletion, but then Keyworth caught a first down before catching a 22-yard touchdown. The Sabercats went for two with 401, but it was no good. The touchback was followed by a tackle from Isom, but then a running touchdown with 222. Toshoff had a 45-yard run, followed by another touchdown by Paul Lack. The PAT by Olsen was good with 201 left. Cole Lazada got a tackle, and after a timeout with 1.15 left in the half, Julian Smith got a tackle. After a timeout with 1.07 left, Fossil Ridge forced a punt, and Paul Lack temporarily went down on a long incompletion. Michael Doyle then got a long run. Keyworth got a good catch and go, and then a trick play to Toshoff got a touchdown. After a false start on the first attempt, Olsen hit the PAT with 16 ticks left on the clock, and Fossil Ridge played good defense going into halftime. To open the second half, after two straight incompletions, Paul Lack ran for a first down, almost got sacked, and then ran 69 yards for a touchdown. Olsen then hit the PAT with 11 minutes left in the third. He had a touchback kickoff, and then a tackle by Ryan Paulier, good pass coverage, and a deflection by Hunter Morton helped force a turnover on downs. Leon then had a 56-yard touchdown reception. The PAT by Olsen was good with 7.02 left in the third. There was another touchback, and then Connor Jekyll got a tackle. They almost had a sack, but a pass interference meant a let-up touchdown with 5.21 left. Doyle ran for four, followed by a 57-yard touchdown that was brought back by holding. After a short run by Doyle, Olsen had to punt, which went 35 yards. Maximilian Spate-Haas got a tackle to close out the third. The fourth quarter was really slow, but in terms of what happened during it, it was quite quick. Number 29, who is not listed on the roster, came in at quarterback. 
There was an interception, a tackle for loss, a couple personal fouls, and a timeout with 8.18 left in the game. Theo Frerichs had a sack, and a turnover on downs was forced, but that was basically it. The offensive playmaker of the game for Fossil Ridge was Trek Keyworth. Keyworth had a lot of good catches and a lot of yardage over the course of the night. He had a really good, albeit quiet, game. Sometimes, those are the best games for players to have. One that can quietly dominate a night until you suddenly realize, wait, that guy has well over 100 yards and a tutty. The playmaker of the game for Fossil Ridge is Colton Pawlak. Somehow, Colton Pawlak is only a sophomore. When I asked him if he was being recruited anywhere, he said, not really yet since I'm only in 10th grade, and I did a double take. His eye for finding holes in the defense is superb, and his speed is something to be reckoned with. I started the season at running back, but then our starter got hurt and I got thrown in, said Paul Lack. Having played running back, it gives me an advantage to see holes in the field, and playing the cross has also given me an advantage in field vision and seeing where the next play can be made. I always throw, and the guys have helped me so, so much, which has had a big impact. Now, the game summary. Unfortunately, this game was never particularly close. It was fun to watch for most of its run, but a lot of that came from what in the hell moments from the Fossil Ridge offense where you wondered how they were doing what they were doing. Fort Collins was mainly running offensively due to McGuire, and the entire Sabercat defense was so in sync that it was hard to pick any one standout. For most of the second half, Fossil had their twos in, which indicates how this contest went. Ultimately, Fossil Ridge had more talent than Fort Collins, which gave them the win. As previously mentioned, Fort Collins will play Rocky Mountain next week, where they will try to improve on their 1-5 record. Fossil Ridge will travel to Boulder High School as well to try to improve to 6-1 over the Panthers. That'll be all for me today. You'll hear from me again next week when I will be covering the game between Greeley Central and Greeley West. Make sure that until then, you get plenty of sleep and drink a lot of water. Now, I hope you all have a good day. And on to you, Cody, for the Saturday Game Recaps. Last but not least, this will bring us to Saturday's game actions. Thomas Jefferson starting off with a 21-20 win over Vista Peak Prep. Widefield getting back in the win category, 33-0 over Gateway. Delta continuing their stellar season with a 28-0 win over Pagosa Springs. Lyman also on that same wavelength, beating Burlington 49-20. Far Northeast Warriors getting a big dub over George Washington High School. We know that, you know, Far Northeast has had some toughies, but they do get a win over George Washington. George Washington losing their first game this season. Thompson Valley with a big win over Niwot, 52-7. They do have one of the Playmakers of the Week candidacies from this game as well. Platte Canyon, 48-0, blanking of Jefferson here. Lots of six-man and eight-man action, but in between that, they do have Monarch beating Pueblo South, 34-6. Highland with their very first win this season over Estes Park on the heels of a great performance from DeAndre here. He does have a pick six in this game and is one of the playmaker of the week candidates for 1A. Colorado Springs Christian back in the win column with a 47-6 thrashing of Rocky Ford. University with a 58-6 win over Timnath. And 
in the end of this action, we do have Grandview versus Eagle Crest that I went and saw. Now, this was started a little bit late due to military appreciation. So go ahead and check out on the TikTok some of the things that made that game interesting. But Eagle Crest did start off with the ball. And, you know, uh, Diego Kearns here, he gets a counter handoff that almost gets to a first down. But then Malumba Wakalanji here makes a play in the backfield and an incomplete pass sets up fourth down. They try a quick QB sneak and that gets stuffed, causing a turnover on downs. So Grandview, they start off with the ball on their own 44-yard line, and they just string together run after run after run before Zarka finds Davion for six yards, then Zarka keeps for four, and on third and two, they have a false start that pushes them back for third and seven. But, uh, you know, Donovan Vernon here, he perseveres and he powers ahead for a first, and I note here that his power is perfect for this offense that has so much speed already. And uh, that Grandview up until this point only dropped back twice for pass and uh, only threw once as they go strong eye and set up on third and five. But don't fix it if it's not broken. Vernon powers ahead for a first down. And then on first and four from the goal line, they run a halfback gut to go up seven to nothing with four minutes and 20 seconds in the first. Eagle Crest, they start at their own 37-yard line. And Gibson Leafgreen here, who... Had an incredible game, by the way. Makes a stellar tackle in open space on Diego Kearns. And then Schmidt tries a deep shot in between both of his receivers. And Grandview gets an interception here from number 20, Kiwan Andrews, I want to say. And so Grandview has the ball on the 25. But Eagle Crest immediately responds with an interception there of their own. Ramaj Owens here getting the interception. But... Eaglecrest eventually has to punt here because, I mean, they have a penalty that moves them back. And on third and 15, this quarterback just kind of hugs it downfield and hopes for the best. On Grandview's opening possession, they start on the 42-yard line and run out the rest of this first quarter here. And then Chase Tahir has nothing but green in front of him here to start the second quarter with great lead blocking and puts a move on a defender to get to the five-yard line. After a slight delay, uh, he still gets the touchdown run here with 10 minutes and 43 seconds left in the second quarter. Eaglecrest, they have a ball in the 35, and then there's a mishandled toss that ends up going for a loss here. Schmidt overthrows once again, and then gets bailed out by Kearns on the next play to avoid a strip sack, but they stuffed a punt. So Grandview has the ball in their own 29 with 9 minutes and 50 seconds left in the half. Time of possession is something very important to note here, I want to say. And, you know, Vernon almost breaks loose here, gets tackled downfield. Grandview is throwing for short chunks and running the ball very well. They're having their way with this Raptors defense. They try to take a shot on a play fake, but Raptors are ready for it as all receivers are doubled and the pass falls incomplete. They then have two runs for a first down. They get an encroachment and eventually end this drive with Liam Zarka getting a QB sneak to go up 20 to nothing. They do miss the PAT. Eagle Crest, they get some nice throws and runs to move their way down the field, seeing as that they started on their own 43-yard line. And then there's a big pass here from Schmidt to Tyson Clark with a lot of green ahead of him. He gets onto Grandview's side of the field. And eventually this drive ends with a Peyton Taylor rushing touchdown and at halftime it is 20 to 7 
Grandview leading this game. They feel very in control. They are dominating on the offensive line and their running backs. Well, they have depth at running back to continually juice this. But on the opening drive here for Grandview, they eat up about three minutes here with a combination of runs here. But Zarka tries to go over the top down the left sideline. But Cam Worm Chapa is there to get an interception and even returns it to about midfield here. And Eagle Crest, I mean, they capitalize off of this drive here starting on the, I want to say 45-yard line, it looked like, or maybe 47. Um, they get a couple of runs. Uh, Schmidt completes a long pass to Ryan here to get inside the 10-yard line. But, you know, eventually the Grandview defense stiffens up here and forces Eagle Crest to take a field goal, making it 10-20 to 20 with 5 minutes and 48 seconds left in the third quarter. Grandview here, they will not let this stand, however, and they take a very long time to drive here, eating up, I want to say, 4 minutes here before scoring on another Donovan Vernon touchdown, this time from 3 yards out to go up 27-10. to 10. But no need as Diego Kearns here fields the kickoff and takes it 60 yards to the house to make it a 10-point game still here in the third quarter. And Grandview will have the ball here starting at the top of the fourth quarter here. Now Grandview, they eat up, I mean, the last minute of the third quarter and then five minutes into the fourth quarter here before ending on another quarterback sneak that does score here, putting them up 34 to 17. Eagle Crest here with the ball. They get a long run out of Diego Kearns. He almost broke this. He tries to juke one guy and gets caught from behind. But that doesn't matter because Jacob Schmidt has his best pass of the night. Excellent touch down the right sideline here to number 88, Xavion Gamble here for a touchdown. And then they miss the point after. They are down 34 to 23. And that makes it tough that it's an 11 point game. They try an onside kick, Grandview recovers it, but then they have to punt here. And so Eagle Crest here, they complete, you know, a couple of passes here, pick up some yards. Jacob Schmidt's moving on the go here, but then he rolls out right and he tries a tough pass in around the right hash, I want to say downfield, that gets batted up. And Gibson Leaf Green, who you heard earlier making some big pass play breakups and making some big open field tackles here, intercepts this pass and effectively ends this game here. I mean, Eagle Crest, they get the ball with like time to run maybe one play or two plays or something like that, but that is not enough time. Grandview perseveres for the 34 to 23 win over Eagle Crest. Eagle Crest here, look, I think that Grandview understood that Eagle Crest's strengths were in the secondary, and anytime that they tried to test them in the secondary, Eagle Crest was either quick with a tackle or, you know, they did make a couple of interceptions in this game. They didn't really have an answer for Grandview's tight end, who was just so, I mean, he's so big, dude. Whether it was Kibby, who stands at six foot eight, making catches, or whether it was Ethan Arlt, who is making catches here. Both of those guys appeared to be tough matchups for, you know, the Raptors here. But honestly, the Grandview offensive and defensive lines stood tough here. The front seven for Grandview here, only allowing 3.9 yards per carry against Diego Kearns, who's been a very dominant back to this point. And the Grandview secondary also making quite a few plays here, intercepting Schmidt twice. And then on the offensive side, I mean, 
look, it's not flashy to average 5.9 yards per carry, but when you hand the ball off to Donovan Vernon 39 times, yeah, it's going to work out and it's going to be a good game. I mean, look, Zarka, I think that he has to play a little bit better, uh, but this Eagle Crest secondary has given teams fits throughout this entire season, so I won't hold it against him too much, but they will have to be a little bit improved in the past game, I think, to compete with Cherry Creek. And uh, Eagle Crest, they have got to stiffen up in the front seven if they want to compete against Cherry Creek in this Centennial League. That is still the gold standard. But in that kind of battle for second place inside of league right now, uh, Grandview perseveres here with a huge performance. Shout out to everyone on that offensive line who is just so dominant. I mean, it starts with, I think, Zachary Henning, who just moves super, super well on a football field and was just pancaking guys, pulling, setting up opportunities in the pass game with his pass blocking very well. Uh, Owen Unruh was another guy who is very dominant on this, you know, offensive line here for the Wolves. And I mean, just everybody was getting it done for this Grandview team as they just steamrolled this front seven of Eagle Crest here. Uh, but the Eagle Crest secondary doing what they need to do and then, you know, getting the plays on offense. But their quarterback does have to take a step forward on his downfield attempts. I mean, he did connect on some very well. But then other times, it would, it kind of just looked like he said 500 and then threw it down the field. And that is not going to be effective football heading forward. Both of these teams are definitely playoff teams. And I think that they're, you know, past the first round level playoff teams as well. Eagle Crest getting probably their hardest challenge yet to this season. And, you know, I think playing very competitively for the most part in the game via special teams and, you know, their secondary as well. And then connecting on some big plays on their offense. Grandview here, just playing grind you to, like, mush football here. And I'm not sure what the final time of possession was, but, I mean, Grandview felt like they had the ball for probably close to 32-ish minutes of, of these quarters out of 48 total minutes. It just didn't feel like Eagle Crest really had the ball that long. Part of that is scoring quick on special teams, of course. But, I mean, Grandview, just excellent ball control um, other than the turnovers. Excellent ball control. And uh, very the most entertaining game that I saw all weekend. So, thank you for that. And that will conclude our Saturday game recaps. Go ahead and stay tuned after the break as we will talk about... Playmakers of the Week, brought to you by Code Red Coaching, after the break. And welcome back, listeners, to the Playmakers Corner Podcast. This segment, we have the Playmakers of the Week, Week 6 here, brought to you by Code Red Coaching, where the grind to greatness starts with the mind. Learn more at coderedcoaching.com. Once again, that's coderedcoaching.com. And they bring us... The Playmakers of the Week, so we're going to start with our honorable mentions and, well, just the candidates, I guess, for every level of Playmakers here. And then we're going to announce them all at once this week. I like to keep you on your toes. So, in 1A, one of the candidates here is DeAndre De Hoyos, who had a pick six and eight tackles in a 14-6 win over Estes Park for Highland's first win this season, snapping that opening four-game losing streak. For Yuma High School, I'm going to go with the kicker here, Alex Lozano, two of two on points after touchdowns, and then three of three on field goals, including the 19-yard game winner over Wiggins to keep Yuma undefeated. 
And then last but not least, Samuel Meisner of Ray High School. He's only a sophomore, had 16 carries for 159 yards and four of Ray's seven rushing touchdowns in a 53-12 win over Holyoke. In 2A, the candidates are Evan Atkin, who returned to action after missing about a month, maybe even a month and a half of football and boy, was he ready to play as he had 39 carries for 254 yards and three touchdowns while adding on three receptions for 48 yards in Moffat County's 29-26 close win over Rifle High School. Speaking of, you know, coming back to action and also familiar faces here, Alex Larson has his name on this list or on the candidacy for the second week in a row for Berthet here. They topple Fort Lupton 35-14 in huge parts thanks to his 32-carry, 279-yard, three-touchdown game. Also going to mention here Joey Finnegan, the junior for Berthet here, who had 13 tackles, four for loss, three sacks, and two hurries in that same win. Last but not least, we have a receiver here in 2A who is a candidate, Brant Jackson of Alamosa. He had seven receptions for 118 yards and three touchdowns in the 28-20 upset over La Hunta. Also, shout out to the quarterback, Casey Jones, who threw over 220 yards in that game. In 3A, we have Mountain View's very own Bergen Roth, who went 8 of 13 for 125 yards and a score, while also adding on another 169 yards on the ground in Mountain View's first win here over Centaurus, 43-6. Keeping it up in that northern area here, Riley Suarez of Niwai here, Goes 5 of 7 for 166 yards and 4 touchdowns in Thompson Valley's 50-7 win over Niwot. My apologies. So both Loveland teams that aren't Loveland High School here representing in the 3A Playmaker of the Week candidacy. And then also senior Zach Elam of Summit High School here. He has an interception, 2 pass deflections, 4 tackles, and 3 tackles for loss here in Summit's big win over Lincoln. On the 4A level, we have... A lot of candidates here because 4A never makes it easy. It's always the hardest category for me up until this point in the season. And so you have Joseph Capra here. Goes 14 of 18, 2 to 1 TD to INT ratio with 171 yards to the air. He also added on another 130 yards on the ground and two scores in Denver South's beating of Ponderosa. Broomfield with two guys here. Cole LaCrue who went absolutely berserk. 12 of 19, two touchdowns, two interceptions, 217 yards. Lots of twos here. But the seven carries for 148 yards and three touchdowns, including the long of 92. Once again, go ahead and listen to that entire segment for just how dominant Cola Crew was in this game to really get an appreciation for why he's a Playmaker of the Week candidate. Same with Mikhail Benner here. Three interceptions and a pass deflection in that 55-24 win over Dakota Ridge. Sam Beers, Playmaker of the Year, Most Valuable Playmaker candidate. Uh, or at least offensive playmaker of the year candidate here out of Air Academy. 33 carries, 346 yards, and three scores in their win over Cheyenne Mountain. It's like clock for it, clockwork for him at this point. And then here also is Zyreek Siegler for Heritage. 13 carries, 78 yards, a score, and a reception for a touchdown in a 20-13 upset win over Fruit of Monument. And then last but not least, 5A here. Got to talk about Asher Weiner of Valor going 11 of 16 for three passing touchdowns while adding on another 46 yards on the ground in a 45 to 17 win over Castleview. Brock Narva of Chatfield having an incredible rushing performance here. 27 carries for 132 yards and three touchdowns in their win over Arvada West. 
Also shout out Avery DeWeese here with the interception and fumble recovery along with five tackles in that win. And last but not least here, Gibson Leaf Green, game ceiling interception against Eagle Crest, plenty of pass deflections and open field tackles here for his candidacy. So with all of that being said, let's go ahead and announce who the playmakers of the week are here. And we're gonna start here in 5A, I'm going to give the crown here to Asher Weiner here of Valor in that win over Castleview. This is a good way to start league. Valor looks like they could be a very balanced and dangerous team with Asher under center or out of shotgun, however you want to say it. He just brings a maturity and, you know, he is a ranked quarterback technically. Uh, I'm pretty sure he's a three-star guy from Kansas who came over here and wants to win some state championships with Valor, I believe. And Valor looks significantly improved in their odds of doing exactly that following a performance like that. In 4A, with so many good performances, performances in 4A, I'm going to have to give it to Zyreek Siegler. Look, Heritage's win over Fruit of Monument cannot be understated as the, you know, upset of the week. No one here at the podcast saw it in the preseason. No one here saw it in the regular season. And boy, does that shake up some things. Also heading into the postseason, making this league very interesting. And Heritage's season is looking up and up following their fourth consecutive win after an 0-2 start. I gotta admit that I misread this Heritage team just a little bit. Maybe had a little bit too much confidence in their opponents or what have you. But regardless, they continue to prove myself wrong and they continue to prove the rest of the state wrong. And Zyreek Siegler was a huge part of that in this win going for 90 total yards, but two of those touchdowns in that 20-13 to 13 upset win over Fruit of Monument. Granted, they did have some guys on defense that caught my eye in this game as well, and their quarterback, Noah, had a splendid game, but I'm going to go ahead to give it to Zyreek for his versatility in this dub. For 3A here, this is a new wave here. I don't know if we've ever named someone from this school a Playmaker of the Week, but I'm going to go ahead and give it to Bergenroth of Mountain View for having four total touchdowns in this game, three on the ground, also throwing one through the air, and just being very, very efficient, showing his upside, and you know, getting Mountain View their first win here of the season. It's always good to snap losing streaks. In 2A, I'm going to go ahead and show my wide receiver bias once again here and give it to Brant Jackson. Look, uh, Casey Jones had a splendid game, obviously, with 220 yards, but Brant had over 50% of those yards, and he had all of the receiving touchdowns as Alamosa does pull off an upset win over La Junta that is going to shake up our power rankings here. So stay tuned for that and also shakes up the league here. You never know until you get to league how things are going to go. And in 1A... I was going back and forth here. Uh, I was specifically eyeing DeAndre and Alex here. I'm going to go end up giving it to Alex for kicking the game-winning field goal. Granted, this entire Yuma team played spectacular in this win over Wiggins on homecoming. It was an instant classic. I was really sad that I couldn't be there. But I mean, there's just a handful of guys making plays here. And it came down to Yuma having the ball last, driving down the field and then getting that dub with Alex Lozano's leg, going a perfect 5 of 5 on kicks, and obviously securing the victory here for Yuma. So, 1A Playmaker of the Week, Alex Lozano of Yuma High School, 2A Playmaker of the Week, Brant Jackson of Alamosa High School, 3A Playmaker of the Week, Bergen Roth of Mountain View, 
4A Playmaker of the Week, Zyreek Siegler for Heritage, and 5A Playmaker of the Week, Asher Weiner of Valor Christian High School. And this week's Playmakers of the Week brought to you by Code Red Coaching. So that'll do it for Playmakers of the Week. Coming up next, we have Power Rankings, and let's just dive right into it. So let's go ahead and start with our 1A football rankings here. Not too much movement here, but just a little bit here. Uh, none at the top as Lyman takes care of business against Burlington. They remain at number one. For number two, we have Ray. Simon says, quote, a dominant win over Holyoke keeps them here at two for me personally and is a vote of confidence. Their next game against Lyman will give them a shot to take the number one spot, end quote. And I said after a fiery start from Holyoke to be down only four with under three minutes and a half, Ray scored two quick touchdowns before the half and a game that was not close afterwards. Uh, their biggest test of the season will be next week on the road for the Badgers, who they have not beaten since moving to this league. So they got to get, you know, typically pe people say, get this monkey off my back. They got to get this badger off their back, honestly, to be taken a bit more seriously. Strasburg here. Simon says, quote, they put 63 points on Clear Creek, as they should. This team's only loss on the season is to Lyman, and that's obviously not a bad thing. This explosive offense will continue to roll, end quote. I said, we knew that their more challenging part of the Strasbourg schedule was going to be their non-league games, and that was only reinforced after their 63-6 annihilation of Clear Creek. Here at number four, we have a tie here between Monte Vista and Yuma here. Simon says, Monte Vista, they move up with Wiggins losing, and it's important to point out that they're currently one of the few undefeated teams. They do play on Monday, it looks like, but it's a game against Del Norte that they should win. Now, for Yuma here, tied at four, Simon said, quote, they're very tough up front and have proven me wrong to say the least. They've battled teams to the end and getting this W over Wiggins again continues to move them up. They're a tough team that has to be on everyone's radars now, end quote. I said, I'm going to give Wiggins former spot to the team that toppled them Friday night because I had them ranked four and that toppled them Friday night in a homecoming game where they led 20 to six heading into the fourth. Wiggins stormed back to tie the game up with around four minutes to go, but the undefeated Yuma squad would drive to set up Alex Lozano's 19-yard game-winning field goal to remain unblemished and surge up to the top five with a quality win. So we see eye-to-eye -eye here that Yuma is at least a top-five team. We just have Vista and Yuma swapped at the moment. At number six, we have Wiggins here in the sole spot. Simon says, quote, they lost on a walk-off field goal to a good Yuma team, so I'm only moving them two spots in my rankings. When the season ends, we'll look back at the schedule and see how ridiculously difficult it was. Having played top 10 matchups in Strasburg, Yuma, Ray, and Lyman is never an easy thing. But eventually, they got to beat these kind of teams if they want to get out the first round of the playoffs. I basically say the same thing here, end quote on Simon, by the way. I basically say, I'm not going to punish Wiggins for losing this close game, but these close losses to quality teams don't mean anything if you don't learn from them and become better. These are two losses, and the rest of the league doesn't really get easier. So they'll have to buckle down and play a full four quarters to be taken more seriously. Just really slow out the gate, and trying to play catch-up in the fourth is not going to work, especially against Lyman, I'll tell you that right now. Tied at seven here, we have Buena Vista and Centauri here. Simon says, quote, They stopped the bleeding and put an end to their losing streak by blowing out North Fork. For me, that's enough to keep them ahead of teams like Centauri, who they beat, Meeker and Gunnison. They have to keep it going, though, and they need to get hot just in time for the playoffs. That should be the focus, end quote. I say, BV, I personally have them at eight. Uh, I put BV is more so here because I couldn't make myself move anyone down below them, but this win was huge. 
Following two consecutive losses, the Demons looked very beatable, but this blowout, punch-you-in-your-mouth running game win establishes BV as a tough squad and not one to be taken lightly. For Centauri, Simon says, quote, They shut down and beat center as they should have. Losing Devin Brady for the season was tough, but it doesn't mean their season is over. The road won't get any easier, especially in the playoffs, but they can only work with what they have, end quote. I said I had them here last week and will keep them here at the seventh spot for me following a throttling of center. So that leads to the tie of Buena Vista and Centauri both at seven. At number nine, we have Meeker. Simon says, quote, they shut down a Cedar Ridge offense that isn't half bad. And on top of that, they won in a convincing fashion. Clay Crawford is looking like the engine to this offense while they play physical defense as usual. This is a team that can definitely beat the teams in front of them to move up if given the opportunity. I said... Both of the top teams are ranked right by each other for that league and both just clocked someone else in their league as a warm-up for the biggest game of their league. Meeker has not beaten Buena Vista since 2019 and that includes two losses last year by a field goal and a touchdown in overtime from the playoffs. I can tell you right now, Meeker has not forgotten about that game and the Cowboys are hungry, but the question is, are they equipped to feast? That will be answered this week. At the number 10 spot here, unanimously, we have Gunnison. Simon says, quote, they get another W and they really shouldn't be threatened with a loss until they play Maker here, Meeker here in two weeks. That'll also be their best chance to move up. For now, they'll pile on the Ws, end quote. I put, I think I finally have to come around to Gunnison because looking back at their losses, they're to quality-esque teams and their wins have been dominant or clutch. Regardless, the Cowboys are turning heads and could sneak up and capture a league title if they can get a home win against Meeker here in a few weeks. So, Interesting league here to watch out in the mountains. And just as a refresher, our 1A power rankings goes Lyman number one, Ray number two, Strasburg three. Tied at fourth is Monte Vista and Yuma. At number six, Wiggins. We have a tie at seventh between Buena Vista and Centauri. Then we have Meeker number nine and Gunnison ten. For our 2A power rankings, not a lot of movement here. I mean, TCA wins, Eaton wins, Delta wins, Florence wins. That makes one through four pretty easily. Then, hopping back into the top five is the Academy. Simon says, quote, They get back on track with a 48-14 thrashing of Faith Christian, and with La Junta losing, they move in front of them, especially with Luke Gardner still out for La Junta, end quote. I put nice bounce-back win for this Academy team that I don't think is that much worse or better than the teams in front of them. So, back in the top five here. I kept them in the top five, honestly, and so, you know, them right back here in sole possession is easy. Now, Basalt finally getting movement after not losing a single game all season. Simon says, quote, Grand Valley was definitely a winnable game, and that's what they did. They move up, though, because La Hunta lost, uh, loses, end quote. I put, the Longhorns continue to win, and we'll just watch teams in front of them fall off as they climb their way to a potentially undefeated season. You can maybe be a little worried that perhaps they're not being tested to the full of their abilities, but they will have a matchup with Moffat County, who we will be talking about here in a second. At seven, Simon says, quote, about La Hunta, an upset loss to Alamosa drops in three spots in my personal rankings. I'm not sure if their QB Luke Garner is back or not, but his abs absence may have finally seemed to caught, catch up to them. The league they're in contains a number of tough teams, and they're going to have to battle to not only stay in the top 10, but make sure they make the playoffs. Look, Woodland Park, Manitou Springs, and Florence will all be key games for them moving forward. End quote. I put weird loss for La Hunta as they had no solutions for the Mean Moose passing attack, but not one that I'll severely punish them for. I already had them at six, so dropping them to seven was no big deal. But Simon and I see eye to eye on that. Look, La Hunta, 
if that is a tale of things to come against an Alamosa team that's been wildly inconsistent this year, look, Woodland Park, we're going to talk about that team here in a second. They just had an incredible win against one of the other teams in this league, Florence. They're a top five team here. If they lose all three of these games, they could be on the outside looking in, depending on RPI and how they perform. So they have got to right the ship here now, and they have got to go at least one and two in those listed games from Coach V. Now, Moffitt County here at number eight. Simon says, quote, it was a close win over Rifle, but the return of Evan Atkin after he got hurt a month ago should be a morale booster as they enter league play after having a 3-1 non-league record. Most likely, it'll come down to their matchup with Basalt to decide who wins league, end quote. I literally mentioned that not that long ago, but Evan Atkin is the big story coming back here. He was one of the candidates for Playmaker of the Week. He had an incredible game, almost 40 carries. Well, he had 42 touches, all things said and done, and I think that he's going to be back to his workhorse status now that we have entered league play for the Bulldogs. And number nine, we have Elizabeth here. Simon says... They get an important league win over Inglewood. They really shouldn't lose leading to their last game of the season and the potential league champion deciding game against TCA, end quote. Yeah, but I don't have anything else to add on. And then Woodland Park here takes the number 10 spot for themselves following a big win over Manitou Springs. I said shout out to Alamosa for figuring something out in their upset win, but Woodland Park dominated against a team that has been able to score handily all season. And in the contest for the number 10 spot, left no doubt that they are a serious force to be reckoned with. Simon says, quote, a dominant win over Manitou Springs not only helps them take control of this 10th spot, but it is also a step towards winning their league. These next two weeks, they will face La Junta and Florence, who are both ranked above them in these rankings. Beating both or one of those teams will help secure their league as well, end quote. So, as a reminder here of 2A 1-10, through 10, Lots of movement here in the back end after five, but nothing changes up here up top. TCA, number one, Eaton, number two, Delta, number three, number four, Florence. All four of those teams getting dominant wins against Sand Creek, Steamboat Springs, Pagosa Springs, and La Junta, or no, 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 Lamar, respectively. Pardon that. And then the Academy here with a bounce back win. Basalt remains undefeated, ready to move up. La Hunta here with a tough loss to Alamosa. Moffat County at number eight, Elizabeth nine, and Woodland Park 10 with that big win over Manitou Springs. Now for 3A power rankings, which are going to be very, very interesting here soon. We have at number one, Roosevelt. They actually had a bye, but, uh, you know, they've been taking care of business. Tied for two, still to this day, Green Mountain Look, I said that these Rams broke the brakes off the state runners-up from last year and will have their biggest test yet this coming Thursday against Evergreen, where we plan to be. But look, Green Mountain, they impressed in that win over Mead at home, and they are a serious threat here in 3A to be taken seriously. However, I think that Northridge is also a serious threat here. I've had them at two basically all season, so that's why we have Green Mountain and Northridge tied for second. Lutheran here... At number four, Durango here at number five. Evergreen here at six. Um, look, league determining game on Thursday night with plenty of rest and, uh, you know, hopefully won't be putting as many balls on the rug in their passing attack. Otherwise, they might lose pretty hard, so they got to catch the football here. At number seven, Res Christian. Look, returning to Colorado football was no problem for the Cougars as they annihilate the Sand Creek Scorpions. And, you know, they have a big game against their most real opponent yet coming up, the Roosevelt Rough Riders. So number one versus number seven, 
also happening this week. Number two versus number six, also happening this week. Pueblo East here at number eight. Simon says other teams moving results in them moving up here, uh, despite them being on a bye. At number nine, we have Northfield here. Look, they got blown out by 4A Vista Ridge, but that's not the worst loss here. So they moved down one spot for Simon. And, you know, I had him at, um, I want to say that I had him maybe at seven, but either way, they're at nine here uh, cumulatively. And this was the first loss of the season for them. Probably good to get this loss out of the way, face a very quality team in Vista Ridge and test that pass defense. So no, nothing crazy here. At number 10, Simon agrees with me. Uh, Summit, look. Simon says, quote, they haven't played the toughest comp yet, but they move into the top 10 since they are currently undefeated and because George Washington got blown out by far northeast. So I got to echo that. Look, they have an incredible quarterback in Jack Shearholtz. They have an incredible defense. Um, obviously, you know, Zach Elam was one of our Playmaker of the Week candidates following this performance. They will have a massive, massive test as Durango is in their league. So we will be looking forward to a five versus 10 comp and so five and ten let's talk about one through ten number one roosevelt then at number two tied northridge and green mountain at number four lutheran number five durango number six evergreen number seven resurrection christian number eight pueblo east number nine northfield and number 10 summit summit i think that this is rounding out to be a pretty competitive league and one that we can respect heading forward and finally the segment that you've all been waiting for where things got really funky was in 4A here, man. Holy cow. There was lots of upsets this week. And then you had some teams that, you know, were still figuring things out here. So I'm very excited for going through 4A here. It's going to be so different compared to other weeks. Other than at number one still is Palmer Ridge here. Simon says, quote, 49 to zero against Rampart is easy money but they go down to Pueblo West to face off with them. Good thing for Palmer Ridge, they match up best with West out of any other team in the state, but they shouldn't feel comfortable yet. West has been gunning for them after losing to them twice last year, last time in overtime. That was playoff game. I said one of only two top five teams to not lose this week was Palmer Ridge as they just wrecked Rampart. Uh, keeping it simple, Palmer Ridge, until proven otherwise, is number one. But... At number two, and very interestingly at number two, is Broomfield in sole possession after having to share it with two other teams last week. The Eagles pull apart here with losses from those other two teams and a dominant performance. As I recapped, if you want to learn about what Broomfield did in their entirety, go back to around the 24-minute mark to learn about that Dakota Ridge versus Broomfield game. And I said, look, this Eagles team flew higher than their opponents in an insane ground and air performance by Cola Crew as they beat Dakota Road. Dakota Ridge on the road, 55 to 24. It was weird seeing Cole not only throw his first interception of the season, but also his second on some ill-advised throws. So that is something that I kind of took away as a little bit of a red flag. But, you know, when you're dominating in this kind of way, you can afford to make those plays. And look, the defense was doing their thing as well, constantly blowing up the read option and also getting, you know, a score of their own and forcing a ton of turnovers. Look, Minus those two interceptions, Broomfield has a chance to probably score 70 points this game, which is absurd against what I think is a quality opponent in Dakota Ridge. And so the Eagles are here and, you know, they've been sneaking up these power rankings for us recently. And, uh, you know, Cola Crew and Cola Crew and the crew of Broomfield here looks well adjusted and well seasoned following last year's 
rougher season. They are a completely different football team this year and are in sole possession of number two. There are two teams here tied for three here being Loveland and Denver South. I'm going to go ahead and start off with Loveland saying, don't let the sack, the lack of sacks or tackles for loss fool you. The Red Wolves had the Tigers on watch Friday night, registering 10 hurries, four deflections, and a blocked punt, all the while enforcing their will on the ground en route to 338 yards and five scores. Loveland looking like they are going to win this league of theirs. Simon says, quote, they have the same record as the team I have in front and behind them at five and one. But outside of a loss to a very good 5A offense in Fossil Ridge, they've rolled through a pretty easy schedule against teams that won't make the playoffs. Even this blowout win over Erie may have just severely damaged their chances at making the playoffs. Their next biggest threats are Skyline and Windsor, but I don't really see them losing to either of them. I, I gotta agree, I chose Loveland to win those games in the offseason, but, uh, you know, Skyline and Windsor, they're both tough football teams, so we'll see what they do. Now, I had Loveland ranked at three by themselves, Simon has Denver South ranked at three. You tie those up, you know, three and four, three and four, swap them up. And that's how you get this tie for third place here. Nothing against Denver South. As I say, South came out fast and with all of their mistakes they made, slash questionable flags that uh, thrown, came off as merciful to this Ponderosa squad that had no answers for Capra early and Rashad Caldwell. I think this defense still has some work to do and they got a little lucky with Pondo's bad luck, but a good win is a good win. Simon said, quote, Ponderosa may not have been 100%, but that's life. Denver South made the most of their opportunities and showed how dangerous this offense can be. Their offense has not been too reliant on the run or the pass, and honestly, they can kill teams with either, which is what they did against a very good Ponderosa defense. The rest of their schedule will be against teams they should have no business losing to, so we'll see what happens as they gear up for a run at state. So tied at third, Denver South and Loveland here. At number five by themselves is Ponderosa. This is uncontested by Simon and myself. Simon says they dropped two spots after a blowout loss to Denver South. They were unhealthy in a matchup that would have been difficult even if they were healthy. And the next big threat of a loss this season will be at the end of the regular season when they face Bear Creek. Other than that, I'm not panicking about this team. But moving forward, they're going to have to make the necessary adjustments to handle high-powered play offenses. I agree with Simon here. That's the end of his quote. I said, uh, when you're dealing with some health issues and you play another top 10 team, this gives you the most leeway in my power rankings. However, two losses in back-to-back weeks against other great 4A teams dashes my confidence in this squad for the postseason just a little bit. But I mean, obviously, they're still fine. They're still here at number five. Number six, Fruita Monument. Simon says, quote, five out of their six games were against playoff teams, including this most recent loss to Heritage, who is now also 4-2. There's absolutely no need to hit the panic button considering their other loss was to a top 10 5A team in Grandview in a win that they easily could have gotten as well. Fruita Monument is battle-tested and these losses will be better for them in the long run. They will go on to take care of business against AC and Grand Junction before taking a shot at the top against Broomfield who they will challenge. I said, quote, losing to Heritage at home, man, if they don't, if they didn't get such a big win over Montrose earlier in the season, they'd be sliding much further down. I honestly think this loss is inexcusable and these cats have some soul searching to do before the red hot Eagles host them here soon. Talking about Broomfield, obviously look shout out to heritage for winning that game. They've got to be knocking on the top 10 now following that win. And, uh, you know, fruit of monument here at, I just don't know how you lose at home, um, to this heritage team that, you know, has struggled at times this season. So, but Heritage looking well-seasoned, Fruit of Monument, not in panic mode, obviously still here at the number six spot, 
but someone to keep an eye on. At seven, we got Montrose. Simon says, quote, they blew out Grand Junction Central as they should and will begin league play where they'll face challenges in Mesa Ridge and Pueblo West at the end of the season. These next two games against Coronado and Falcon, although they shouldn't overlook either of them, should be winnable games, end quote. And I put, if Montrose hadn't lost Fruita, they'd be up a couple more spots. But ever since that game, the Red Hawks have not lost yet. So Montrose being undefeated after an 0-2 start. Pueblo West and Vista Ridge here both find themselves at number eight. Simon says, quote, I knew this Mesa Ridge game would be a trap game, and it was as they got upset again, 21-14. Their schedule only gets harder from here on out as they enter tough league play. They're at the point where they'll only get beat down harder if they don't wake up. It's really up to them. Do you want to be a contender or not? End quote. I said the Cyclones have been playing exactly as their team name suggests. A mess. Way too many turnovers in an opportunistic Grizzlies advantage kind of way that bumps them down and puts them in a tough spot facing Palmer Ridge next week. Look, that opening week, they looked fantastic. Simon went to that game against Dakota Ridge. That was a quality win to start their season. But ever since then, in moments of testing against Fountain Fort Carson and now Mesa Ridge, they have shown to be a little bit more shaky here. So they've got to iron these things out. Tied here at eight is Vista Ridge. Simon says, quote, they blew out 3-8 Northfield, which my eyes, I feel like they definitely had the ability to do so. It's uh, business as usual. They continue to move up as they enter league play where they really shouldn't lose to anybody until their showdown with Palmer Ridge at the end of the season. Also, side note, keep an eye out for Braden Derman, who is currently at 26 passing touchdowns and has been on fire already, looking to surpass the number of touchdowns he threw all of last regular season and playoffs, end quote. So a little bit of a stat watch there for Braden Dorman of Vista Ridge. I said it was against a 3A opponent, but I'd say a pretty all right 3A opponent with Vista's extra tally in the win column here. Then in sole possession of the number 10 spot is the upset kids here in Mesa Ridge. Look, I think the loss against Dakota Ridge was a wake-up call as Mesa has put together some impressive wins as of late and the defense is forcing takeovers and the offensive big three are coming along nicely. Simon says, quote, this was a team that needed a confidence win against a quality team in Pueblo West. This young team has only gotten better as sophomore quarterback Bryce Real has gained confidence and freshman running back Trayvon Salas emerged as a fantastic second option. Throw in star senior receiver Carver Cheeks and junior running back Isaiah Jones, and you got an offense emerging as one of the top offenses in 4A. This is a very well-coached team, and they'll only get better as time goes on, end quote. So, to recap, once again, 1 through 10, in sole position of first place, per usual, Palmer Ridge here, since I want to say like week two or something like that. Broomfield here at number two with sole possession of that two spot. Tied for third is Denver South and Loveland. Not a lot of these teams having chances to play each other heading forward through the season. Ponderosa here at five, Fruita Monument here at six. They will get to play Broomfield later in the season. At number seven, the Montrose Red Hawks tied for eighth. Pueblo West and Vista Ridge and then in sole possession of the 10th spot here that has kind of been a revolving door is Mesa Ridge with that big win over Pueblo West and last but not least here we have 5A football business as usual here honestly um look Cherry Creek here remains at number one after a win over Cherokee Trail to start league uh still looks like they're trying to figure out who their QB is Columbine here blows out Pomona 50 to 21 to maintain this second place spot. Valor Christian, this game has produced a lot of questioning on my side on the delay to start Asher Weiner, especially after going 11 of 16 for three touchdowns 
I think that Valor Christian here, their passing attack is going to open up plenty of opportunities for the rushing attack, and they could be a dangerously balanced team heading into the rest of league play. At the number four spot is Rouston Valley here. I said this was a big win over a team that probably should be moved down to 4A for about a half decade now, but it keeps Rouston Valley parked here in this number four spot. Tied for fifth is Regis Jesuit and Pine Creek Regis. I put that the defense was mauling these Huskies, recording 11 tackles for loss, four and a half sacks, all the while the offense uh, moved the ball and Regis coast to a nice win over an all right Douglas County squad. I put for Pine Creek, you know, they rushed the ball 43 times instead of taking their chances with the FFC secondary, and it pays off in the way of a 14-0 win. At number seven here, Thunder Ridge, I put a comeback double overtime in the pouring rain over a rival kind of win has the Grizzlies feeling great. And with everyone playing their part, they continue to hashtag row the boat. Go ahead and listen to Coach V's recap on that game to get the entire recap that is going to be at the 34 minute mark and that's a longer recap but it was double overtime so go ahead and tune into that simon says quote no surprises this weekend but thunder ridge coming back down from 21-0 did raise some concerns yes it was raining but offensively they've had plenty of slow starts this season that's a, a slight concern and we'll see what happens so some questions potentially under center for the thunder ridge team that while is undefeated leaves a little feeling of unease heading forward here, at least for state contending level play. At number eight, we have Grandview. Look, I have Grandview here at number eight following their win over Eagle Crest. Look, I didn't rank these last three spots because if Eagle Crest won this, they would have been in the top 10 here, but they remain just on the outside. Grandview taking care of business and looking like one of the most dumb, probably the most dominant offensive line I've seen in person to this point in the season just super powerful and maneuverable in the trenches with a variety of rushing options to capitalize at number nine rock canyon speaking of rushing options they continue to run the ball very effectively here and also spread out the ball in the passing game and continue an undefeated season here at number nine and at number 10 is fairview following their 14th straight win over boulder but man, it doesn't get too much easier for Fairview, who will have to defend this 10 spot from the clutches of Pooter or Fossil Ridge heading forward. So once again, 1 through 10, that is going to be Cherry Creek, Columbine, Valor Christian, Ralston Valley. Tied for fifth is Regis Jesuit and Pine Creek. Then in lone position of the rest of these numbers is 7 Thunder Ridge, 8 Grandview, 9 Rock Canyon, and number 10, your Fairview Knights. With all that being said, that will do it for this episode of Playmakers Corner. For all future announcements on episodes, go ahead and follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Playmakers Corner. We're on Instagram, at Playmakers Corner. We're on Twitter, at Playmaker Corner. For recaps of games that we saw over the weekend and some quick highlights and quick reactions, go ahead and check us out on TikTok, at Playmakers Corner, where we have been doing that kind of stuff to try and take you through our in-game experience and what we see and how we're watching it, which I always think is a really fun time. Make sure that if you don't have any of these social medias, the easiest way to get notified of episodes is wherever you listen to podcasts, whether that be Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, that you subscribe or you turn on notifications to get notified of all of our latest episodes. For any inquiries on running ads, please reach out to pmc-contact at playmakerscorner.com. That's pmc-contact at playmakerscorner.com. Thank you all so much for the support, 
and we will be back next week with another recap and some more grueling league games away this weekend and some crazy turns in the power rankings potentially to come.